chilling new original docuseries on Paramount Plus. Why did he kill his family? The answer lies across the ocean in a woman named Sylvie. She's a can model. Where desire leads to deception. I ended up spending twelve and fifteen thousand dollars a day. It was addictive. I can't get you out. And obsession leads to murder. Who did this to your family? You can't really maintain a fantasy forever. Control Alt Desire, now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Welcome back to Composite 2 Star Recruits, a USC recruiting podcast where a couple of one-star hosts talk about five, four, and three-star prospects and everything in between. I'm your one-star host, 10K Trevino, and as always, I'm joined by my podcasting partner in crime, Hurricane Martinez. Gerard, officially, I have to say, we're back. This is officially the longest hiatus we've ever taken uh, for this podcast. I believe the longest was just a one week off going to the Utah game, as many USC fans remember. But we've been gone for what feels like three weeks. We haven't done a show since our smash hit success live show for National Signing Day, early National Signing Day in December, which... Again, thank you to everyone who turned in and donated all that money. We're definitely going to do that again. Wink, wink. But Gerard, it's been a minute. Are, are you? Are you? Do you feel rusty? How do you feel? Well, we'll find out if I'm rusty or not. But uh, That's feel true. great. Uh, definitely hope everybody had happy holidays and a great start to the new year. Uh, obviously, with USC, they didn't have the best start to the new year on the mm-hmm. football field. We'll talk a little bit about that, I'm sure, in this podcast. But they have recovered a bit from uh, the uh, sort of stagnant end to the early signing period and rolling into this flux of transfers that are coming in and uh, some big time transfers that USC has been able to land. get all depressed about recruiting. The transfer portal is there to uh, giveth and taketh away. Giveth and taketh away. Absolutely. And USC is definitely taking from the portal, and that's going to be the majority of the focus for this episode, our return episode. We have several high-profile, big transfer additions that we're going to talk about, including today's big news, the big, splashy addition of former five-star defensive lineman Texas A&M transfer Anthony Lucas, which has gotten everybody so fired up on social media and on the P. This is a huge, huge win for the for the Trojans and USC's defense next season. And we're going to talk all about that. And before we jump into all that, you know I have to start off the first composite two-star recruits of 2023 of the new year by shouting out Meredith Schlosser, the official sponsor of composite two-star recruits. She took on being our sponsor in 2022 and she is staying with us in 2023 so just thank you to meredith schlosser the top real estate agent in los angeles with over 600 million dollars in sales yes 600 million dollars in sales and more than 205 star zillow reviews look it's the new year 2023 and maybe one of your resolutions for this year is to finally get that house you've been dying to have maybe it's to move out of your apartment and get into a house buy your first house Whatever that may be, I'm telling you right now, you have to go with Meredith Schlosser and her team. They are the best in Los Angeles and Southern California. She has represented everybody from Jeannie Bus to 10K myself. Yes, Meredith is my real estate agent, and I will be using her when I purchase my house. She helped me move into a house that I'm now renting. 
and it's been delightful. Now, Meredith is backed by a full-service team that allows her to service a wide range of clientele for rental sales and purchases. She also has extensive experience with first-time home buyers and sellers. Meredith was recognized by Wall Street Journal within the top 1.5% of agents in the nation, not California, not the West Coast, the whole nation. You can learn more about Meredith and her team at www.meredithschlosser.com. That is S-C-H-L-O-S-S-E-R. And you can follow her business Instagram at Meredith Real Estate. And again, if 2023 is the year you're going to purchase your first house or move out of your house or sell your house or just buy a bigger house, whatever that may be, go with Meredith Schlosser. You will not regret it. She is the best. Gerard, it's time to get into the cold open and of course, that is going to be Texas freshman, excuse me, Texas A&M freshman transfer defensive lineman who is officially a Trojan, Anthony Lucas. He is committed. He is signed. USC tweeted out that sign graphic. So he is locked in with his letter of intent with the Trojans. He is going to be the most talked about transfer portal prospect for USC's class going into the spring, going into the season, unless a bigger fish comes along, and maybe it will, but for right now, Anthony Lucas, an impact, a potentially impact defensive lineman. He is still a very young uh, lineman in college football, does not have you know a ton of experience. I believe he does not even have a single start to his name, but six foot six, 275 pounds, a five-star prospect in the 24-7 sports rankings in 2022, part of that historic Texas A&M class. That was number one in the country and you know, just blew out every other class that has ever been done in terms of uh, modern recruiting rankings. He played in seven games for the, for the Aggies before a team suspension along with several others. We'll talk about that. But highly ta- talented prospect, you know, did have a little bit of an off-field thing with the Aggies. But from a USC standpoint and player standpoint, this is a huge, huge win for them. They needed impact defensive linemen. Like I said, Lucas is still very young, but the potential that he has and the size that he has is something USC sorely needed, and he's going to have a lot of expectations for him in his first year with the Trojans. Gerard, give me your thoughts on Anthony Lucas, and you also wrote a great future impact piece that is now up on uscpo.com that is a VIP piece. So, you know, wink, wink, join uh, com, But Gerard, give me your thoughts on Mr. Anthony Lucas. Yeah, big, big get for USC. We all know that USC's got to improve in the front seven, particularly on the defensive line. So the impact here is very big because you're going to lose Tuli, Tui Polotu. You're going to lose Nick Figueroa. Uh, we haven't heard anything about Solomon Bird leaving yet. Uh, but he's potentially draft eligible at this point. Kind of seems like he's going to probably come back because we haven't heard anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he may still be mulling that over. They they need some pass rushers. Clearly, the upgrade for the defensive line is them gaining interior pass rushers. That's really where the talent level is is not very good. They need a bit more size. With Anthony Lucas, six six, two hundred seventy five pounds. Really, we look at him as a guy that potentially could be a bit of a game changer from a three technique standpoint. Now, Lucas himself still looks at himself as a five technique. He still wants to be more of an edge rusher type. And I think that's going to be something that, you know, if USC is, is 
is really on top of it, they got to try to convince him that, hey, dude, if you play inside, that's really going to be your future. That's where your high, highest ceiling is. However, I think what really sold him on USC was the fact that they used Tuli Tui Pelotu all over the field, inside, outside. We know they lined him up at linebacker. A lot of people kind of critical about that. And I think, you know, justifiably, there were some situations where you had Tuli Tui Pelotu out of position trying to make a play. You know, he's lining up five yards off the, the line of scrimmage as a linebacker and then rushing uh, the offensive line. And, you know, you have no leverage that way. And if you're playing in a, in a short down and distance type situation, like near the goal line, you're not probably going to make a play uh, doing that. And so USC tried to get creative with him. They tried to get cute with him. They showcased his versatility and probably that allowed him to play himself into the first round of the NFL draft. And it's probably something that they were able to show Anthony Lucas, who sees himself as that sort of player. And don't get me wrong, he has that sort of ability. I mean, you know, I, I think immediately you start to think, okay, what does Anthony Lucas look like in a USC uniform as opposed to Bellflower, St. John Bosco, five-star defensive end, Mateo Ungalale? So USC misses out on Ungalale. He, he goes to Oregon. And we, we talked, you know, throughout the recruiting process, throughout the past year, about Ungalale and his potential. Where does it lie? You know, he's a good 6'5", 265 pounds. He's a guy also that you look at and say, okay, you need to just, you know, bear down, get in the weight room, add the weight, be 290, and be that athletic big man inside. Stop playing around outside. Stop pretending you're a tight end. The thing about Ngulele is that he's not a proven commodity in that way. He hasn't been necessarily all that productive at St. John Bosco. And we can say this now because we said it before he was committed to Oregon or anywhere else. So this is not sour grapes. This is just something that we've known about him for a long time. That recruitment was a much about a statement landing uh, the best, high, most highly rated defensive player in Southern California. And that in itself is a deal. And then also the potential. But it was a lot about potential. Because he only tackles at Texas A&M. But what we know is that he had a very good spring ball. I think he had eight tackles, two sacks. He was the only defensive lineman out of that tremendous, I mean, ridiculous class that Texas A&M signed that had any sacks in that game. And he also was looking really good fall camp. Early in the season, they thought he was going to break into the rotation. He was going to be one of the main guys on that team that, uh, as a true freshman, would contribute quite a bit. And, you know, about midseason, we get into, like, October, and it was after that South Carolina game that he got suspended indefinitely. It wasn't, like, a big issue that he got suspended for. It was him and three other players. And, um, you know, the story might be out there. I'm not going to reiterate it, but it was uh, something that, you know, is, is, is not it's frowned upon more in Texas than it is in California. Let's just say that that's that's the word. <laughs> so um, it, it wasn't necessarily like habitual. And from what we understand, he did everything he needed to do off the field to get things straight that Texas A&M and the coaching staff all wanted him to stay with the program. Uh, I talked to Brian Peroni a bit and he's uh, quoted in that uh, future article piece that we put up. And they would have loved to have him back. He's a guy they did not want to lose. There were some players that were very highly uh, sought after players in that 2022 class that they wanted to get rid of. You know, they felt like they were bad apples and they just, you know, they needed to part ways with those players. Anthony Lucas wasn't one of those guys. So that's a big deal for USC. I don't think, you know, behavioral issues, off the field issues are looked upon to be something that will be an issue for him. 
I think, you know, the upside is that you got a guy who's 6'6", 275, and he's got the athleticism to play on the edge and play interior. The thing is convincing him that, A, what USC needs is a great th- three technique. I mean, that will help the defense tremendously. He has that ability. Put on another 10 pounds. Put on another 20 pounds. Be dominant inside. And that's the thing that, you know, he has to sort of own that. If he continues to want to be like, oh, I'm going to I'm gonna drop weight. I'm trying to get to 255. I'm trying to get to 260 so I can be, quote, unquote, faster. We've seen that with so many players in the West Coast. We've seen that with so many players in the Pac-12 where there's this thing where they, I don't know, they want to be small enough that they can go play seven-on-seven ball during the offseason or something. I, I don't know what it is psychologically where they just don't want to embrace their inner bubba. But that is what is going to get you – uh, that big contract in NFL. Anthony Lucas has that ability to be a game changer as a three technique. Um, he's just kind of sort of embraced that. So, you know, he's got great quickness. He's got great length in the arms. You see him disengage blocks really well. I uh, saw him play, um, you know, the 2022 year against Elijah Page and, and played uh, very well against Elijah Page. Uh, so, you know, he's a guy that can control the line of scrimmage. And again, you know, has that athleticism that, you know, he can stand up as a defensive end a little bit and do all the things we saw from Tui Tui Pelotu. But it, again, you know, USC got really creative with that and probably went maybe too far in that, in that, you know, they did not have any size in the middle and they didn't have any playmakers in the middle. And, you know, you've got Stanley Toofu, um, you've got Tyrone Helene, and, and they're okay. They're okay players, but they're not necessarily guys that can be dominant. And I think, you know, for this defense to really improve itself, they've got to have a dominant um, defensive player in the interior. Can you explain inner Bubba? Your inner Bubba, man. You just got to, you know, <laughs> hey, it, it's it's there. Go have uh, a few more burgers. Stop trying to be GQ. Stop trying to have the, the six-packs abs. You know, just embrace your bigger your, your bigger self, and uh, the NFL will embrace you uh, <laughs> with a first-round uh, draft pick contract, too. You don't want to be svelte. You want to be Bubba. You want to get that. Uh, you want to get that size. You want to get those three bills under your 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 name. And you know, Anthony Lucas, six foot six, two seventy five. I'm pretty sure no one on the roster is going to look like him when he walks on to campus in the spring. Outside of maybe Corey Foreman, in terms of uh, Corey Foreman was looking like an SEC guy, SEC guy uh, when he stepped on campus. So yeah, th- that is a. Pretty good-looking group that USC has there with, you know, Anthony Lucas, Corey Foreman, even Romello Height, who's also kind of freakishly uh, built. You know, those are first three guys off the bus, I would say. And, yeah, you hope that USC can convince him to play more on the interior. When, you know, Blair Angulo wrote wrote his uh, evaluation out of high school, you know, it said, you know, projection is to be one of the top interior defensive line prospects coming out. And I believe he also had a first round sort of eval on him. So that's kind of the player that USC is getting USC. Now, you know, with the addition of Lucas, he will get his official transfer ranking tomorrow on Thursday. And USC right now sits at number five in the country. And that's thanks to some other commitments that USC has brought in. Uh, Gerard, is there anything else you want to touch on with Lucas before we move on to USC's other big lineman pickup no i mean i think that uh, like i said everybody kind of looked coming away from the 2023 cycle after early signing day and usc did not get that impact player uh from the high school ranks and certainly you know that's 
got to change. I mean, you do have to go and get those guys out of high school as well. But um, this is one of those kind of game-changing type of dudes that um, I, I definitely think Anthony Lucas is going to have more potential to make an impact next season uh, than Mateo Ngulele was going to. Uh, you know, Mateo Ngulele, that potential lies a couple years down the line. Now, is Anthony Lucas going to be Tui, Tui Pelotu next year? Is he going to have 13 and a half sacks and 22 tackles for losses? Probably not, but I think he can get much closer to that, and I think the expectations can be closer to that than what you would expect from a true freshman who, again, you know, is is really trying to grow into his body and, and sort of own being a defensive lineman and not just an athlete. For sure. So I do want to move now into USC's other big lineman addition. Now, I could keep it on the defensive side of the ball with Purdue defensive end Jack Sullivan, who we will get to really soon, but – I think we just got to go big on big. And I just want to go with USC's other massive transfer portal addition. That comes on the offensive side of the ball. And that's Washington State offensive tackle slash offensive guard, wherever you want to put him, Jared Kingston. This is also a massive, massive win because USC, as we talked about when we did your transfer Palooza episode, where we talked about offensive line and how that is a major, major need for this team losing Brett Nealon in the middle, uh, All-American Andrew Voorhees at guard, and then Bobby Haskins, your in-and-out kind of left tackle starter, but more or less your left tackle starter in Bobby Haskins. You needed to replace those three guys. You do have five incoming freshmen, one that will be on campus early in Elijah Page, but none of those guys, as we've talked about, is sort of that day one instant impact, just throw them in there, and you know they can play right away. Maybe they'll be able to contribute down the line. But you needed guys who could play early and from day one. Jared Kingston is that to a T. He is Washington State's left tackle starter for this past season. I believe it was seven games before an ankle injury kind of took him out of commission and he was sidelined for the rest of the year. But for the most part, he was also Washington State's left guard starter. So a lot of versatility can put him inside, can put him outside. Six foot six, 305 pounds. And he has been considered one of the top offensive guards in the Pac-12 via ProFootballFocus.com. They graded him as the number one pass-blocking guard in 2020 during the, the COVID season, which was kind of his breakout season. He did not allow a sack in 398 snaps this season at left tackle. So protection has been good. Washington State, you know, Clay McGuire coached him up last season, and we saw the improvement that USC's offensive line took in one year with Clay McGuire. Washington State, you know, they they do a really good, good job of developing uh, three-star guys, taking him in, and then a couple years later, they are top Pac-12 offensive linemen, and they 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 get those guys on the first team all Pac-12, second team all Pac-12, and Jared Kingston absolutely, I believe, is a all Pac-12 caliber guy. Now, my question is, where do you put him? Just looking at it for me, Gerard, my first my first instinct is just to keep him at that left tackle spot. I don't know about you and what your thoughts are on uh, Mr. J.K., Jared Kingston. Yeah, I think you do for sure. Um, you're trying to replace Bobby Haskins. Uh, certainly you have some younger players that could potentially play that left tackle spot. We saw Mason Murphy there a little bit. Uh, you know, we're kind of waiting to see if Cortland Ford can be that guy that kind of step up. He played pretty much more right tackle last year, I think in 
um, you know, big minutes, like the, 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 the contributing minutes were, were more at right tackle. I, I, for me, I've seen him play better. You know, the limited amount of reps we've seen from practices and what have you at right tackle. I'm still of the opinion that you, I think USC should kick down Mason Murphy and put him in uh, Andrew Gorsi's spot. I, I don't think Murphy, I, I think Murphy can get away with playing right tackle, but I just don't know if he's a, a left tackle for sure yet. I, I remember him from high school and, and, you know, his body type and what have you, I think long-term potential, I think guard is a little bit better, especially the way USC uses its guards and how mobile they have to be. Uh, with a lot of those GT counter pulls that they use. But with Jerry Kingston, yeah, I think a guy that's a left tackle, um, he solidified himself in a very good Washington State offense. I mean, that's the thing is that you're getting a guy from a very, very good offense. Uh, whereas you can look at Christian, Roland Wallace, uh, uh, Keon Bars from Arizona, the two transfers that they got from the Wildcats. Wildcats did a very good defense. So, you know, you're like, okay, these guys are going to come in, they can compete. They're going to have to step up. They're going to have to play better. There's more expected from USC defensively than there was of Arizona. But with Washington State, you know, Jerry Kingston is coming from a, a good offense and an offense that, you know, at least from a pass protection uh, standpoint, uh, sort of similar to, to USC. I mean, you've got a mobile quarterback there and Cam Ward. And, you know, I think he just fits in very, very well. I, quite frankly, I think it's an upgrade. I think at this point, USC gets one more good, solid interior offensive lineman that's got good starts at a power five program, uh, a guy that you feel like can come in and push for a starting job right away. I think you're talking about the offensive line upgrading. And that's, you know, going back to what we said before the holiday break, we talked about USC having to upgrade certain positions out of the portal instead of just replacing guys. And with the offense, you can replace some guys and you're still going to have a great offense. You know, if you're replacing Jordan Addison, well, that word replacement, I mean, you're replacing a guy that's a, a Blitnikoff winner. Um, so, you know, if you're looking at a guy that's equal to that type of talent or at least in that same league, that's a very good player. But defensively, you've got to upgrade. You can't just replace those players because the defense was bad. So you can't just replace bad with more bad. You want to upgrade. So I think with USC in the offensive line, we're getting to a point now that, again, if they get one more guy, and I think it's really an interior guy, and they passed on some very good interior offensive linemen, by the way. There have been some guys that have come through the portal that I thought USC would make a harder push on, and they really have it. So I don't know if they're over-recruiting the offensive tackle spot, and maybe they move somebody inside, or they are just waiting to see if there really is that big impact player that's a plug-and-play guy that's going to be, you know, at the level of Andrew Voorhees right away uh, because they can afford to maybe be a little more picky. We have not seen a mass exodus from the offensive line room that we thought we might see uh, for USC. So that's something that we still have to sort of wait on. There's going to be another transfer portal window that will open up May 1st to the 15th. So we will no, no longer have any announced transfers after January 18th. That will be when the, end of, uh, the window closes. But after spring ball in May, there'll be another window that opens up. And so always potential that you have maybe a few guys uh, that leave after spring ball because they didn't, you know, get the playing time or they feel like those guys that transferred in are going to play over them, et cetera. So th this is not a, a wrap here uh, for transfers for USC or for any other school for that matter. Uh, but certainly they've definitely been a little more picky on the interior 
uh, with offensive linemen, but they're kind of, I feel like one guy away here from really, you know, having potentially a better offensive line than they had last year. And it was an offensive line that got pushed around by Utah and, and had been pushed around in some games and certainly can improve, but offensively, you know, just as a whole, I mean, when you've got that supplement of uh, Caleb Williams being able to run and scramble, um, just improving the offensive line that much more, you get Austin Jones back. Uh, we haven't even talked about Marshawn Lloyd coming in as a running back. It, it's really, you know, the offense is just continuing to get a bit better, if not, you know, equal to the offensive that they had last year. And uh, that's certainly good news for Lincoln Riley. It, it's the defensive side of the ball that, you know, they, they really got to improve on um, to become, you know, closer to what, the expectations are and that's you know them being an elite team college football playoff contender yeah it's kind of weird for us to say you know usc's offensive line is trending towards being better than last season when you're graduating an all-american a multi-year all-american like andrew Voorhees and a all-american center in brett nealon but yeah they've done a really good job of just adding some critical guys i know a lot of that will be that a lot of that will hinge on what Justin Dietrich does in terms of does he come back? Does he go for the NFL? But right now, you know, I've, I felt he's was always going to come back and just seeing pictures of him in the January workouts. That tells me that he is going to come back. I mean, I don't think you're going through January workouts without the intention of returning for another season. And he would be the starting center. I have no doubt about no doubt in my mind that that's what the plan is for him to come back, take over the the mantle from Brett Nealon, be the next center in line, his natural position. If he wants to go to the NFL, needs more tape, had some good tape in, in the Cotton Bowl. He graded out really, really well. I believe he made profile, pro football focuses all bowl team, uh, somewhere around an 85, I think, or an 82 around there, but did really well at that center position. And I had a long conversation about him, uh, with him at the Cotton Bowl about you know just how much he's learned under Josh Henson a, a center whisperer, if you will, in just this, you know, a month of working with him. And he was really excited to work with him because, you know, center is his specialty and they fix his stance. Uh, They're working on a bunch of footwork things. And he just was just amazed by all the little details that he's already fixed in just a month. So I was like, you know, the idea of working with him for an entire season has to be tantalizing to you. It has to be something on your mind. He's like, yeah, it's a, definitely a big selling point for coming back. And Dietrich being a team captain, you know, it would be huge for him to return and sort of being the middle anchor piece for center because they don't really have any experience at that position. But, you know, they did add also Michael Tarquin uh, from Florida, right tackle starter for them. He had a foot injury uh, kind of early in the season, but he is another big addition and a guy who can certainly step in right away and play right tackle. Right now, I would probably peg him to be the right tackle starter and and, you know, to go with him and Dietrich and uh, Kingston, as we mentioned, you know, kind of just keeping him at left tackle. What do you do with Jonah Monheim? That's sort of a big question. And we've always talked about we feel like Monheim's highest ceiling would be on the interior. So if you put Tarquin in, I know you're going to give your thoughts on him out of, out of uh, the SEC, uh, six foot six, three to 20 pounds, big boy. But. Suddenly, this offensive line looks a lot bigger than it did last year, a little bit heavier than it did last year, and a lot more stable in terms of the depth and just having more bodies to play with. Because now you're you're running, I would say, at least three more deep from you were from what you were last season, and I'm factoring Gina and 
Gino Quinones in that because he had no experience going to the season. He got some this year. He was thrown into the fire, started the Cotton Bowl. Is he going to be a starter next year? I don't. I wouldn't lean on him being a starter this next season, but he definitely has experience to step in and help them. But the big question is, what do you do with Monheim, who was this year starting right tackle? I thought played really, really well at right tackle. You're bringing in Tarquin. It's a good problem to have, Gerard, is what I'm saying. Yeah, certainly. I mean, I let's look at it. Let's kind of um, yeah, let's do it. break this down the, the, the offensive line room right now. And, and like you said, Didich being able to go in and, and prepare in the bowl game. You know, he got a month of preparation to go in and play the center position. And coming out of high school, he was a four-star center. He was rated higher than Brett Nealon. And everybody thought, went, okay, he's going to be the guy. What's going to happen with Brett Nealon? But Brett Nealon was able to hold on to that spot. And USC still felt like Justin Dedich had enough talent to break in the lineup. So he ends up going and playing guard. And he played very well in some games of guard. And then he played, you know, not so well in some games. In the Utah game, particularly offensive line, that second game uh, in the Pac-12 championship, they got blown up. They just got blown up. And I think, you know, part of that also has to do with uh, Utah just kind of figuring out some things. And, you know, we'll talk about that, I'm sure, at some point, looking forward to USC next season and the offense. And, and know, they didn't second, have Voorhees as well. Voorhees was out. Yeah, it didn't matter. That second that second year of uh, a defense being able to see, uh, you know, Caleb Williams and, and, and the offense and the tendencies, et cetera, um, you know, they're going to dial in. The defenses are going to catch up to some extent. I think Trojan fans have to kind of understand that and know that, you know, you're just not going to come out and, and, and fool everybody um, every year. You know, there's there's statistically, I think, you know, some Oklahoma fans were trying to use some copium to say, oh, you know, looking Riley's offenses have, have, have gone down in production over the years in terms of points scored. And it's like that's a natural thing that's going to happen, man. That's why, you know, it, it's so difficult in the NFL for offenses to, to, to dominate, you know, it's, you see a lot of games where it's like in the low twenties because um, they just figure it out. You know, it's just the defense has more time um, the, during the week, you know, you only get 20 hours in college. You don't, you really have unlimited amount of time to prepare at the NFL level. And um, you're just not going to fool people as much. And so the second year of, of Lincoln Riley at USC, you'll see some defenses, you know, start to come around a little bit and they'll, and they'll hone in on some things. Um, I have no doubt that the offense will still be very good, but you do have to uh, move some things and, and create some wrinkles. And I think with USC particularly, and, and going back to that Pac-12 championship game, above all other games that we saw, they've got to get better at certain positions. In the offensive line, they've got to get better. And if you look at that that starting five, just projecting it, um, sort of, you know, you lose Voorhees. And I think that is a loss. I think he's an NFL level player. He's a he's a good guy. But moving Jidich into that position, I think you do have a guy that's got experience. Um, you got a guy who's a team leader, and you got a guy that go all the way back to high school. You know, knows the center position. So this is not something that you know you kind of go, okay, we're not sure how this is going to work out. Uh, maybe like a you know Elijah Vera Tucker moving from guard to offensive tackle to left tackle. Uh, nonetheless, you know you're a little more like you know okay, a little bit skeptical. He played left tackle in uh in high school but you know that's a bigger jump than you know playing guard and, and moving over to center so i think you know that's that's a that's a move that i feel like you're not losing very much uh with uh Nealon and justin dj to center um at the you know left guard spot 
that's going to be the big question. Uh, uh, you know, when you lose Voorhees, um, you know, how do you, how, who do you replace him with? I, again, I, I would love to see Mason Murphy move inside and play a little bit and see what he does. Now you could always, you know, risk maybe he wants to transfer because he sees himself as an offensive tackle and he only wants to play offensive tackle. Then so be it. You know, that is what it is. If guys uh, don't want to, you know, go with the program, then they're going to leave. And that's just the era of college football. But I think um, ultimately, if, if Mason Murphy is looking at his NFL prospects, the interior is probably where he's going to play. And so um, I think that's, you know, seeing how he developed last year and the snaps that he played from the beginning of the year to the end of the year and seeing his athleticism, seeing his body, you know, he's probably like 305, 310, and he's, you know, a good 6'5", 6'6". Uh, that's a that's that's a nice replacement for Andrew Voorhees. You mentioned Michael Tarpin, played right tackle. I'm sure he's not coming to USC to necessarily play inside, but he's a guy that again, you know, when you watch him, you go, okay, maybe he's a he, he could play some tackle in the NFL. But I think you want to build versatility with your offensive linemen, and I think if offensive linemen are smart, they take the Mason Cobb philosophy and you try to learn multiple positions because you just never know in the NFL. Man, somebody goes down, that's that's millions of dollars that are laying on the table there. If you can't move to that position and you're just stubborn and say, well, I'm a, I'm a tackle, I'm, I'm an athlete. That's the bullshit that we get from, you know, defensive linemen. And that's kind of what I'm talking about with Anthony Lucas. Dude, you I mean, you know, you want to be an unemployed right tackle or do you want to be a millionaire guard? That's the question that's just laying at your feet. So I, I think with with all these guys, um, unless there's just, you know, I, I think with Kingston, he's a, he's a guard or excuse me, he's left tackle. I think he's a tackle. I think he's proven he's a left tackle, a good player. I think that's where he's going to compete. But I think with right tackles and, and anybody on the, on, on the, really on the roster that's just playing right tackle, I think potentially has to open themselves off to playing um, offensive guard. If that position is there to be open to, to be one as a starter, you go in there and you try to compete and you're open to that. I think that's, that's, the mentality that all these players have to have. Um, so yeah, you have Jonah Monheim there and, and that right tackle position and you have him at right guard as well. So, you know, he's played both those positions and been very good. So you don't lose a lot there really. You know, what I'm looking at is you're just losing Voorhees basically at this point because you've lost uh, Bobby Haskins, but you're replacing him potentially with Jerry Kingston, you know, six, five, 305 pounds. He's not quite as big as uh, Bobby Haskins, but he's also a guy that hasn't had a ton of injury problems. And Haskins, you know, had, had, had the shoulders and he had the foot and everything else. Having a guy there that's consistent and can contribute every game and you can rely on a left tackle, man, that's, that's huge. It's huge for your quarterback. That's huge for your offensive line in general, the cohesiveness. You don't want to have to try to replace your left tackle at various games, you know, during the season. And that's kind of where USC was last year. And that's how, you know, Mason Murphy ended up over there. Um, they kind of threw different guys over there. They had to move guys around quite a bit um, to try to make sure that that left tackle spot was taken care of. Uh, I think, you know, when you've got Kingston there, I think that's a guy that's very dependable and he's going to be competing probably with Cortland, Cortland Ford the most at that spot. Again, I don't know what they're going to do with Mason Murphy, um, but I think Mason Murphy's more of a right tackle and maybe a guard. I, again, I, I like him for Voorhees. That's, that's a pretty good lineup. When you see Dedich at center, uh, Mason Murphy at uh, at right guard, uh, or excuse me, at left guard. Uh, Jonah Mo Jonah Moheim at right guard, and then right tackle 
being a battle between Michael Torquin and maybe even like Cortland Ford there too, you know, is a possibility. Um, when you look at it like that, you do see where you could use more offensive tackle help more than the interior, because in the interior, you've got Quinones who's played, he's played uh, a center and he's played some guard as well. You've got Andrew Millick who has played center mostly. So he's kind of your backup center Cooper Lovelace, who they like a lot, who came in as a Juco, um, another big body. A guy I like a lot of, too. I like a lot too. Yeah, he's really big and we know he's got flexibility and we know he's athletic. So I'm really excited to see what he does this spring specifically. And then you've got the high school guys that are coming in. Alana, uh, Alani Noah, uh, you have uh, Amos Talalele. You've got some big bodies there on the interior uh, uh, offensive line. And, and obviously Michael, uh, Micah Benuelos is going to be a center. So he comes in and, and gives you, you know, something there along with Millick. You're, you're talking about three deeps on, on the interior now uh, with some of these guys. And, 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 you know, true offensive tackles are harder to find than guards always, you know. And when it comes to moving pieces of the puzzle, you're always a little more worried about what you're doing on the edge in the interior. So, I mean, I can see now kind of looking at it when you kind of just kind of put it out in front of you, the reason why maybe they're a little more interested in offensive tackles and they haven't pulled the trigger on a bunch of these interior guys, even though some of these interior offensive linemen have been very good, you know, being able to have somebody that has experience playing tackle at a power five program is probably more important for them um, because you don't have a lot of that on the roster. You've got Cortland Ford, Monheim, maybe, you know, at, at a right tackle. Uh, but I think with Tarquin there, um, that's going to be a competition between him and Ford most of all. Uh, we'll see again what happens with Murphy if they play him a little at left tackle to see if he can win that spot versus uh, Kingston. I think Jerk Kingston is definitely like the guy that you kind of expect to come in and, and win the spot. Um, I think it's definitely going in the direction of being an improved offensive line. I, I think for sure. Um, and the interior is where really where the depth is. It's really trying to get a little more depth, I think, on the edge. Yeah, I mean, I just kind of sketched it out here really quickly when you were kind of talking there. but Well, that's what I was kind of doing, just like looking at it. Because, I mean, we've talked about all these players individually and we're talking about the room in general. But you kind of do have to lay it out almost in front of you visually and you go, damn, you know, they're, they're solid inside. They, they've got a ton of interior guys. They don't really, I, the guys I think that are the, that you need to replace Andrew Voorhees are on the roster to improve the offensive line. I feel like that's Like if you can get Mason Murphy in that spot, I think ultimately he's a better version of Andrew Voorhees. He's got the body. He's got the size. He's more athletic mm-hmm. than Voorhees is. It's just a matter of convincing him, hey, man, this is going to be your future. This is your spot. And I just don't know if that's what happens. They might go, ah, you know what? We really want to have him a tackle. But, I, I mean, again, who are you going to play him in front of? You think if, if, you're going to, if he wins the get job against Kingston, it's like, okay, well, you know, you went in and tried to recruit Kingston really hard. That doesn't really make a lot of sense to me. And Tarquin, um, at right tackle, yeah, because I just think that's a more ambiguous position. It's like. Your, your right tackle is just going to be a taller, longer version of whatever you probably put at guard in an offense like USC's. In, in, in other offenses, you can have those little stubby guards that are 330 pounds and they just run straight forward, right? But in USC's offense where you're using so much GT, GT counter and so much pulls and stuff like that, and again, they're going to have to use some wrinkles here going forward because Utah saw that and Utah shot those gaps just 
you know, kamikaze style and we're blowing up a lot of the run plays because they're slower developing. But if you want to have any of those type of plays, you've got to have athletic offensive linemen who can get out of their stance and get going. And sometimes you got to hurdle some defensive linemen, some three technique or one shade that's just dive bombing you trying to blow up the play. So that's something that, you know, you have to have within your interior. And that's why, again, I look at Mason Murphy and go, damn, that's a guy that, you know, potentially has that ability to do that. We saw that in high school a lot from him. Absolutely. And just going back to my sketching it out, you know, I'm just looking at, I compared it to this year at this point, you know, compared to kind of last year at this point, you, for this year, you, you have Tarkin, Tarquin, Kingston, Dietrich, Monheim, Murphy, Ford, Quinones. Those are guys with starting experience. Those are guys yeah. that yeah that have played, that have been in the trenches, that have played at a college at a college game and in key minutes as well. And just comparing it to last year, they are one deeper than they were going into uh, last season. You know, last season was Neyland, Dietrich, Ford, Monheim, Voorhees, and Haskins. You're one deeper there, and then behind that was sort of I guess. The question, not question marks, but just like this other second second tier of guys like, are they going to step up? Will they be in the two deep? Will they play this year? Uh, just guys that you certainly go into the year with some expectations to maybe step up and play a little, get some experience. And for last year, I really only had Gino Quinones and Mason Murphy on there and maybe Cooper Lovelace. Because outside of that, you were kind of like... I have no idea what that that bag is going to look like. Maybe Andrew Milik. But this year, for kind of that second tier, you know, you have Elijah Page, who's going to be an early enrollee, you know, four-star guy, your highest-rated guy. Uh, Micah Benuelos, you know, they need, you know, he's the center of the future. I have no doubt that he's going to be given a shot to compete for that backup spot. Cooper Lovelace, as I said, uh, bona fide. Put him on that second tier, kind of see what you got in him. You know, he took that redshirt year, developed a little more. He's a raw prospect, so you hope to see him make strides in spring. Andrew Milik, I definitely have him on there now. I think he's gained a lot of size. I just don't know what they have in him. You know, he's he hasn't really gotten a chance to play outside of maybe some random special teams. I'd like to see what he does in spring, maybe compete for a backup job. Uh, and then I have Alani Noah and Amos Talele. You know, they are young guys. They are going to be true freshmen. They're not early enrollees, so their potential for this season will have to come down the line. But look, you don't get much bigger than Amos, Amos Talele at six foot five, 330 pounds. You know, he's going to look like a dude when he walks in. Will the, be, the game be a little bit too fast for him? Probably. But, you know, at some point that might slow down by the middle of the year. And he's certainly someone I would like to see play a little and get some of that experience. So your potential and your rotation and your second, your second team already looks so much better than it did last season. And you're one deeper with your experience, guys. So as a whole, the offensive line right now is shaping up to be in a good spot going to 2023. And as we talked about, we still don't think they're done. We still think there's at least one more guy that USC is going to try to pluck, a veteran guy, an experienced guy. So you could be running two deep, uh, two, two more than you were last season in terms of your, your experience, guys. Yeah, and it's a group that, you know, you've talked about getting bigger. I, I don't know if they'll have a sub 300 guy on that offensive line next year. I think Monheim kind of hovers around like 290, 295, but you're bringing Tarquin. He's right at about 300 pounds. Uh, you're bringing in uh, Kingston. He's about 305, 310, who, who, who wears it really, really well. I mean, he, he might be a little taller than 6'5 because 
you look at him and he just doesn't look like he's a 300 pounder, but that's where he's listed. And, you know, Ford's over 300 pounds. Um, Justin Didich is, is over 300 pounds. I think he's listed on the official website is like 305. Um, you have all those guys, you know, Lovelace is like 320. And then you've got the younger guys who are coming in at, you know, 320, 330. And yeah, you, you get a little bigger, a little stronger interior. We talked about the future of the team and the offense in terms of running the football. I mean, right up that gut, you're looking at a, a much more physical football team that can lean on people later in the game uh, than they have been in, in previous years, you know, where you've got 280, 285 pound offensive linemen, you know, now you just need to see that on the defensive line. So uh, we'll, we'll probably transition into that because we got to talk about Jack Sullivan. Yeah. And just my last note in terms of, I think you're also a little bit nastier on the offensive line. You know, Tarquin has a reputation for being nasty. So does Kingston a little bit. We know Dietrich is nasty. Uh, Michael Benuelos is considered a really nasty player as well. And we know Alani Noah is as well. And Amos Talele was literally just beating people up uh, legally on the football field. So I think you're also a little bit more physical, too, in terms of kind of these new guys they're bringing in. So I think that's also an upgraded uh, part of the part of the offensive line. Now, as you mentioned, Jack Sullivan, let's jump into him. This one, Gerard, kind of came out of nowhere a little bit. Out of left left field. field. But then when you kind of look at it, when you take the time, so you're like, okay, let's pull up Jack Sullivan. Let's do a little research. Oh, yeah, played in the Big Ten, Purdue, did some things there, and had production. You know, this wasn't a guy who did not play at all at uh, Purdue. He comes with some... Uh, stats to his name. He comes with some uh, production to his name. Uh, 38 total tackles, seven tackles for loss, five and a half sacks. This past season for the Boilmakers overall comes with 38 games of experience, 86 total tackles, 14 tackles for a loss, and nine and a half sacks and seven pass deflections. All in all, you know, not necessarily a starter for the Boilmakers, but a guy who came in and had production. And it's a guy who we, you know, can make plays based off, you know, the production that he's had. And just another guy that is going to be a key part of the rotation. I don't think he's necessarily coming in to be a starter. But this is definitely a guy you can bring in with a second unit and be ha- be happy with because you know he's able to make plays. He's six foot five, two hundred seventy five pounds. Looks very similar to you know a Nick Figueroa, a guy who can play maybe defensive end, maybe can stand him up and play Russian as well. So I think there there could be some versatility with him. But overall, I think it's a solid. Pick up. Obviously, it's not Anthony Lucas level or uh, Braden Fisk level, but for the most part, this is a solid uh, two deep guy at at worst. Yeah, you said it. You know, sort of. We're talking about upgrades and replacements. Well, this is a replacement for Nick Figueroa. I mean, you know, just out of the box, he's uh, very similar in terms of um, his his build, uh, at least on paper. Six five, two seventy five. I think he's a, a little more physical against the run and probably a little better with his hand on the ground. Uh, Nick Figueroa, who, you know, like was productive for USC, showed flashes for USC. And I think I've said this in the past, I felt like didn't get enough consistent run for USC. Yeah. He needed to be there and starting across from whoever the the rush end was uh, as the five technique. So you've got seven technique, you've got five technique. And the five technique is always going to be the guy that's on the strong side. He tends to be, the bigger, stronger, more physical, but not necessarily your best pass rusher. But Nick Figueroa was a really good athlete, and he had some nice intangibles in terms of instincts and whatnot. He's not one of those guys that you saw dropping into coverage 
maybe a little too often, you know, USC trying to do some wrinkles. And I think some of that had to do with losing Eric Gentry. They got a little desperate and were trying to throw things out there. And listen, hey, that's what also got them that win against UCLA because Corey Foreman ended up dropping back into coverage uh, as a defensive lineman and uh, got an interception to seal that win. So, I mean, it did work for USC, but I think with Sullivan, you don't want to see him um, back there doing a whole lot of zero blitz coverages in the curl or in the flats too much. Uh, he is um, athletic enough, but certainly I feel like a little more of a straightforward, traditional defensive lineman. Again, you know, 275 could probably be 280, uh, 290, and it, it wouldn't change his game a whole lot from an athletic standpoint. It probably would just make him a little better um, as an edge sealer. And so a physical player, a guy that, um, you know, is pretty good in, in open space in terms of uh, being able to contain against the run, um, a decent pass rusher. Like you said, not necessarily the splash uh, sort of addition that, Anthony Lucas is does have more production though. And and we talk about production, mm-hmm. baguette production, and that's very true. So it is a good get, uh, considering that you're losing Figueroa and you don't know how fast those freshmen that you have incoming are going to be able to catch on. Um, you know, you've got Braylon Shelby. We've talked about him plenty. I think he's an outlier talent in this class as an edge rusher. He's going to play opposite side of a guy like Sullivan. He's going to be on your rush inside, he's going to be a seven technique, perhaps a guy that you can kind of drop off the line a little bit, do some different things with. Um, and then you've got David Peavy, who's also a very, very good uh, rush in, but probably a little more on the Jack Sullivan side, a guy that you would play uh, at the five technique, maybe more so. I mean, I mean, I think you could play him on either side. He he certainly got the athleticism. I mean, he used to play safety in high school and then kind of gain too much weight and they kind of moved him up to linebacker and then they moved him up to rush end. But watching him just in terms of his agility, how he moves in the open field, he tends to be a little more of an edge, get up the field type of guy. Whereas with Shelby, the feet, the awareness, the balance, the eyes, you know, that's some of the intangibles that allow him to do some different things that I think put him on that weak side. And he can be a little more of a, um, how should I put it? Just sort of a wrinkle you know, as a standard player in your defense, a guy like Eric Gentry that it's just he's going to be out there every down, but he's just so unique in, in his talents and his uh, athleticism. Uh, with David Peavy, I think is a little more straightforward of a pass rusher, good sealer. Um, you know, he's about 230, 235 right now. You want that five technique to be more of, you know, at, at least 260, 270 at this point. Uh, you want to have a bigger body over there. So um, they do get a guy that's got some size. And again, you know, a a, a transfer grad. So plenty of experience, got some production at the power five level and, um, you know, a a good replacement for for uh, Nick Figueroa. Again, a replacement. You know, we you you also have to remember that you've got um, Jamil Muhammad also coming in as well. Mm -hmm. So I think with Muhammad, more of a a weak side guy, more of a guy that you're going to put out there. And um, he'll be battling with Shelby and he'll be battling with some of those other players at uh, at the rush end spot as, as opposed to the defensive end spot uh, across from Sullivan. But um, it's, it's interesting. You know, they're 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 creeping up into improving the defense, uh, certainly with the second tier, the second level of the defense. I feel like they've improved. And that's where they're actually the worst in terms of performance. I, I, it's, it's an interesting thing. 
the defensive line, and we're talking about the guys who put their hands on the ground mostly here, you know, you kind of have a little bit of a blurred line with when they're using stand-up guys like Corey Foreman and what have you, but the guys that mostly put their hands on the ground, USC doesn't have a lot of talent there, okay? They were doing more with less last season. When you got guys like Tyrone Talele and Stanley Tafua playing and starting and contributing, you know, you're really pushing – um, you know, being a, a power five level defense. Those guys you see at, you know, sort of like the Oregon States and the Washington States, uh, the UNLVs, they're not the type of players you're going to see in a college football championship game. Um, but they, they perform kind of over their heads to some extent, you know, having said that. Now, the second line of the defense with the linebackers and the Russians and the guys that are standing up, that group's got more talent. That group had more talent last year. And you look at the roster. And, but they played probably the poorest, especially when Eric Gentry went out. Eric Gentry was kind of the lone wolf there that was playing out of position as a middle linebacker. I don't think you want a six foot six, 210 pound middle linebacker, um, but uh, still a guy that was obviously making plays for them. And then when he got hurt and he went down, and it was not 100% at the end of the season. I mean, not even close to it. I think it was probably 70% at best. Um, you could see where USC was getting exploited. The tight end position started getting away from him. You started to see some very easy passes to the running backs in the in the red zone. The red zone defense kind of fell apart. That's where USC, beginning of the season against Stanford, against uh, some of these teams, they were playing poorly between the 20s. They were you know, giving up big plays. But once they got inside the red zone, they started to play a little better. And they got some turnovers, et cetera. And the defense really wasn't as bad. But when Eric Gentry went out, that's when the red zone defense sort of collapsed as well. And teams were just, you know, they're making the big plays in between the 20s. And then they were just going in and they were scoring pretty easily with uh, the tight end or, or throwing the ball to the to the running back. And you saw guys like, you know, Raylan Goldford just behind on plays, you know, just a step or two behind on plays. And, and Shane Lee, a, a really a two-down linebacker. And, and part of the reason why you go, okay, that's why you got to put Eric Gentry a middle linebacker. Um, very interesting to see how USC develops the guys that they have that they've improved upon with getting Mason Cobb, getting Tackett Curtis, uh, having Shelby. You know, we'll see how he sort of comes into the mix there when he gets on campus. They've improved there, but that's a position where they had more talent anyway. So again, that's that's where you know people start to question Alex Grinch's scheme and the defense in general because they didn't tackle well, they didn't play well in space, they they didn't tight it, they didn't cover the tight end well. It was a lot of issues in the middle of that defense, man, where, you know, even sort of between the linebackers and safeties, you just saw so many plays where guys are just wide open in the middle of the field. You know, it's third and 19. It's like, we'll just throw a, a you know, 15-yard pass on an in route and just let, the, you know, the receiver run for 10 yards because they've been just wide open. Um, that's kind of where USC's got to improve a lot. Can't have those those under, you know, a minute 40 drives in the second half of games when you know, you finally gone up, you know, a couple of scores on the team and, and boom, you know, they all of a sudden it's a 10 point game. It's a seven point game because they just went up and down the field in the blink of an eye. That's the kind of stuff that you just can't allow. You know, there's bend and don't break. And then there's feast and famine. That's kind of where the uh, the defense was last year. Mm -hmm. It was for famine. You know, they get those turnovers or they would just have a, an awful series and the offense would just march down the field in, in a minute, you know, 20 seconds. And just from an overall standpoint, well, First one, I may have said uh, Jake Sullivan to start this thing. It's Jack Sullivan. That's on Jack me. Jack Sullivan. I, uh, it, it, 
I, I think I have like Avatar on the brain. Jake Sully is the name of the the main character there. So maybe that's that's where I'm looking at it and be like, oh, Jake Sully. No, Jack Sullivan. But just from an overall standpoint, I just wanted to make this point on this podcast. I made it on Twitter, but USC, Gerard, as you know, we didn't get to really talk about these, but USC, you know, let's say, let's be real. You know, they took some L's in lineman transfer recruiting uh, a couple weeks ago, you know, missing out on uh, Trace Ford and Dylan Wade and uh, Brendan Fisk, Frisk, Fisk, however you Fisk. say it, Fisk. Yeah. So Fisk. you took you took some Braden Fisk and you took some L's there, some guys they were going after and, you know, right there with right there for in terms of all three of those guys they were finalists for. So took some L's, but I will give credit to the staff. They have bounced back really, really well with, you know, this run of Lucas and Kingston and Tarquin and Sullivan. They've done a really good job of, you know, taking those taking those lumps and moving forward and continuing to hit the ground recruiting. Now, obviously, you would have maybe loved to have gotten Wade and, and Fisk and keep those guys in addition to these guys you've already brought, you, you have signed right now. But still, I, I just want to commend them for keeping it going and moving on to the next thing and finding guys and getting some some really good impact guys for next season. The thing about the transfer portal, and I said this kind of at the beginning of the window, you know, if you don't get a good player this week, don't worry. There'll be probably a better player in the portal next week. And that's certainly come to fruition, you know, with the, with the, the defensive backs. And there's a lot of names. Like, you know, we've done some unsubstantiated rumor segments and we've talked about some guys that, you know, might be out there. And, you know, Lucas was one of those guys that we talked about very early on in the process who was not in the portal yet, but a guy that could potentially be in the portal. He's got, you know, some some teammates that we've heard some things about and are still not in the portal uh, from Texas A&M that might be in the portal, guys that would make a huge impact at USC. So um, they still got to get better. You know, I mean, Keon Bars is a, is, a, is a decent guy. You're kind of bringing him in there for maybe a Brandon Peely. Um, you're all, also losing Kobe Pepe. So, you know, those are the two biggest guys that were on your roster. I mean, we talked about USC not having a lot of 300-pounders on the roster. They still don't have a lot of 300-pounders on the roster. You do want to get some guys that are difference makers on the interior. Like I said, you know, you, you actually probably played a little above your talent level to some extent in some games. Um, but the talent level there is just, you know, you had Tyrone Talalele who was, didn't do anything at Kansas State, you know, um, transfer in and 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 play uh, decently, you know, and and you know we had some some sightings of Dijon Benton earlier in the year, and it seemed like people were excited about him. Then he got his hand hurt, and then he sort of disappeared. And uh, you just have not seen a lot of consistency from the guys that you would hope to have stepped up to kind of take some positions been the guys that are sort of like, you know, you know, Stanley Tafu, he came to USC as an inside linebacker. He was playing linebacker in high school. He was you know, 245 pounds and now he's like 270 pounds. Um, you definitely want to see some more players there. They've, they've offered quite a few defensive linemen, you know, Anthony Goodlow, um, Tamise Adele, and, and you talked about Fisk, you know, Caleb Banks was another guy they offered. Um, they offered Devin Sears, uh, Devon Sears just committed to Oklahoma. So that's another guy off the board, 6'2", 290. A guy that was a Juco that didn't really play a whole lot. Um, I think, you know, he didn't play at all in 2000, 2021 and uh, only had like 15 tackles in one sack. I don't really know why he blew up as much as he did, considering that, you know, he necessarily didn't have a whole lot stats-wise 
Uh, maybe there's something there from his high school film that people are looking at. But I it's hard say, to find defensive linemen. Hard yeah, but, I, but, but, you know, on that subject, you know, I always say you, you, USC should be evaluating college film and not high school film. You know, don't get caught up in the nostalgia of, oh, yeah, we recruited this guy in Oklahoma. He was so good in high school. Oh, what happened in the last two years? You know, that that's like if we want to look at Jordan Birch, who just committed to Oregon versus Anthony Lucas, you know, Jordan Birch hasn't done a whole lot out of, you know, out of high school. He was a five-star in high school, but kind of mediocre at, at South Carolina the past, I think, three seasons, you know. And um, a guy that, you know, you go back and watch his high school film, and you're like, oh, man, this dude's a dude. He's a, he's a good player. Like, you know, he's a guy that can actually stand up at, you know, 6'6", six, 6'5", six, six, and he's 275 pounds. But he didn't see that production at South Carolina. Now, with Anthony Lucas, you didn't see a lot of production at Texas A&M, but he was only there as a freshman and was suspended half the season. So, you know, with him, you kind of have to go back to the high school ranks. He hasn't had any major injuries, so that's a good thing. And you say, okay, you know, this is kind of rebooting a little bit with him. And maybe, you you know, you feel like that's hypocritical. Like, oh, you know, you're going to look at Jordan Burch and say he hasn't really done anything. And you shouldn't just look on his high school film to try to determine what type of player he could be for you. But with Anthony Lucas, I mean, I think he would have definitely played quite a bit uh, for Texas A&M if he would have not had the suspension. And quite frankly, Texas A&M absolutely stacked their defensive line. I mean, that Jamar Taylor, um, they had uh, Gabe Dindy. They had like, I think, four five-star defensive linemen just in the 2022 class, five if you're counting Anthony Lucas. And then they had like guys coming back that were good players. And, you know, they got, I mean, look, I mean, look at Adele. Adele was one of the top players that was coming back um, that, you know, people thought a lot of. Uh, in the prior class, and so they had the up. number one 2024 kid reclassify for that class, or 2023 guy. Uh, the I'm blanking on his name. Yeah, uh, I know, I know you're, you're talking about. Um, in addition to several other players that were, again, already on the on the team, so it wasn't like they were like really bad. And, and they got David Hicks this past cycle. Uh, he was a five star defensive lineman. So it's like, I mean, if you could put together Texas A&M's recruiting and the guys that they're getting with what USC's getting, I mean, you'd get, uh, I mean, it'd be a juggernaut, right? Cause you, you have the quarterbacks, you have the receivers, um, you got some solid offensive linemen there, and then you've just got this ridiculous defensive line. You're getting all kinds of good defensive backs. And that's kind of sort of where USC needs to be as a whole to be able to play, you know, with the Alabamas and Georgias. Cause that's kind of what they're doing. You know, it's, it's to some extent, I, I don't think it's uh, it would be that crazy. I mean, that would be, if you combine Texas A&M's class with a uh, with USC's high school class, it would be insane. It would be, you know, it would be a, a legendary type class. Uh, but that's, you know, sort of what USC's trying to do with the portal. So maybe, you know, unsubstantiated rumor that uh, Walter Nolan was was looking around and maybe still end up in the portal at some point. I mean, that'd be a guy that USC would be all over. That would be a great interior off defensive lineman for them. Um, there's there's still potential that there's other guys out there, and and USC needs them. You know, they still need them. Anthony Lucas is a great step in the right direction. That is a guy that could potentially replace uh, a, a majority of the production that Tuli Tuipolotu had, right? But that defense needs to be better. I mean, Tuli Tuipolotu was on a defense that wasn't very good. So he was a great player, but you need better players around him is basically what I'm saying. Um, you you kind of replace some of his contributions to production, but you need to get other guys to produce and, and contribute as well and, and certainly have some depth in that respect um so 
you know, this is uh, this next year, you know, there, there will be uh, that push to, to get better. And, you know, hopefully they do get better because I think the offense is definitely going to probably get reined in a little more in some of these games. And it's a harder schedule next season as well. LT Overton is the guy I could not uh, think of for Texas. Yeah, not somebody USC really recruited or, or was really in on. So, you know, another name, unfortunately, you know, with that, it's the guy that, you know, we don't hear anything about him being in the portal or what have you, but with the, uh, the portal, these guys jump in and they're guys that, you know, you don't know from a hole in the ground, right? I mean, some of these guys, USC, Anthony Lucas, we knew about because USC kind of sort of tried to recruit him. You know, they were kind of feeling themselves a little bit because they got Mikel Williams and they thought they were going to get Christian Miller, the two a defensive lineman from Georgia. And it was like, oh yeah, you know, we don't need to mess around with these local players. And so Lucas really wasn't, they weren't really involved with him a whole lot. He did take an unofficial visit during the season at some point. Um, I think when they had already lost Mikel Williams, but we're just not really a, a school that Anthony Lucas was serious about. Um, but there's other guys, you know, like Jared Kingston, who and you would see recruit Jared Kingston. You and I had no idea who Jared Kingston was if he even existed out of high school. There's plenty of those type of players, Braden Fitness, plenty of those type of players where they pop up in the portal and you don't know this guy in the holer ground and you basically got two weeks to learn all you can about him. Enough about the linemen. Let's get to the skill guys, Jared. Let's get to the skill guy. USC did pick up a big weapon for the offense for next season for Caleb Williams and the running back room in South Carolina running back transfer, Marshawn Lloyd. And I just got to say, Gerard, another DMV prospect. Marshawn Lloyd was a top 100 prospect in the 2020 cycle uh, out of DeMatha Catholic High School. For those that don't know, is my alma mater. So shout out to DeMatha and the Stags and the DMV in general. He is a four-star prospect in the transfer rankings. The number one running back in the 24-7 sports transfer rankings. He is a very talented player out of high school, but he also was productive at South Carolina in you know limited spot play. Wasn't like a full season starter or anything like that, but redshirt sophomore coming in, played in nine games for the Gamecocks this past season, rushed for 573 yards, nine touchdowns, also caught 18 passes, for 176 yards and two more scores. Overall, has 20 game appearances at the college level, 801 uh, yards, and he did miss his freshman season with a torn ACL. So that is something to keep in mind. Only five foot nine, you know, 212 pounds, but he is considered a very physical runner, very downhill runner. Uh, makes makes people pay at the second level. You know, he's got quick feet, patient runner. Uh, as I said, not not super big, you know, not over the six foot mark or anything like that, but he is a physical runner, power back, has a nasty stiff arm, uh, used it in high school a lot. So USC is getting a sort of, I would say maybe a little bit of a bruiser in, in some regards and maybe kind of similar to Austin Jones. Austin Jones is also maybe a smaller kind of bigger kind of back. Darren Barlow is probably a little bit bigger than both of those guys to, to kind of fit with. I mean, USC, the two freshmen they're bringing in are also kind of bigger, too. Marion Peterson is the load. And Relic Brown is kind of maybe only the real kind of speed back right now on the roster. But for the most part, you know, another productive guy of the SEC who has experience, uh, highly touted out of high school, and just a guy that is going to potentially start for this offense. You know, Austin Jones is coming back. He, you know, he declared that 
I believe shortly after Lloyd uh, committed and signed, or I, I don't know if he's actually signed, but after he committed, Austin Jones came back and said, okay, I'm coming back too. So USC has a very balanced running back room going to 2023 with two veterans, uh, kind of a guy in the middle and Darren Barlow, who is, who is, has experience, but not what I would consider, you know, a veteran, but not an experienced starter or anything like that. Relic Brown, who did some really nice things in the Cotton Bowl, the most effective runner for USC out of the backfield was Relic Brown. And then the two freshmen that are early enrollees, Amarian Peterson and Quinton Joyner. So a very stacked room and a good mix of talent and experience. Yeah, he has signed. I think uh, USC did tweet that okay. out. Okay. Um, Couldn't remember. They're all, they're all blurred together. They're all blurred together. Yeah, welcome uh, to USC. And and Lloyd, an interesting recruit because, you know, I have to apologize. Uh, some of the folks on the press style were asking me about him after our 24-7 Georgia site had reported first that USC was talking to him and USC was one of the you know, top three or four schools that were involved with him. And, you know, some of those SEC schools were sniffing around a bit. But at that point in time, and this was before Christmas, uh, this was right around the early signing period for high school kids. Uh, you know, my contacts basically just didn't really know much about him at all. And it was clear that USC really wasn't recruiting him hard at that point. I think there's been obviously a lot of talk of other running backs that were potentially going to end up in the portal. We've talked about Jade Knott, talked about Travion Henderson. Um, you know, maybe USC was just kind of kind of keeping their ear to the ground to see what was going to, you know, come to fruition and maybe some things didn't come to fruition and they actually made that move on Lloyd and were able to get him. I mean, that's speculation on my point, but certainly uh, they jump on this kid, uh, a guy that I think kind of, again, we're talking about replacements for the offense, not a bad thing for the defense, not, not really what you want. Uh, I mean, you want it in some, you know, some instances, but other instances you want to see them get better. But Lloyd is, is definitely one of those guys that kind of fills in, you know, the Travis die, you know, losing him. And he was such a big part of the offense early on. And, and Lloyd's similar in, in one respect. He can get himself out of negative plays really well. Really good lateral feet with Lloyd. You see him move laterally at the line of scrimmage. If the hole is not there, he can maneuver sideline to sideline a bit uh, as he's getting ready to hit the hole and get some positive yardage. Uh, also, a, a pretty decent receiver. You know, he was semi-productive for South Carolina last year. He had a, 111 carries for 573 yards, nine touchdowns, averaged 5.2 yards a carry, and he had 18 receptions for 176 yards and two scores. So a, a combo back is what you're trying to describe in him, Chris. Um, a lot like Austin Jones, a lot like Travis Dye. You know, Travis Dye had some intangibles. I think, you know, tremendous pass blocker first and foremost. And that's something that, you know, I think Lloyd's going to have to improve on uh, to, to get on the field and to win snaps versus Austin Jones. Austin Jones, not as good as Travis Dye, but I think, you know, saw the lead and, and kind of uh, learned probably from Travis Dye how important it was to be a pass blocker. And so, you know, that's where we start to talk about culture, right? Because that's you see guys ahead of you doing things and you see them being rewarded and you realize that's the standard. That's what you have to do. It's not just how hard you run or, or, you know, if you're running for touchdowns and if you're able to catch the ball, it's what do you do with the ball not in your hands? And Travis Dye was 
an elite player in that regard. You know, he played really well without the ball in his hands as well as in his hands. And so Marshawn Lloyd is going to have to improve in that area. A little more, um, you know, nagging injuries that have, you know, kept him you know, in, out of the lineup for games here and there. He did have an ACL that he returned from. Um, I can't remember if that was 2020 or 21 where he had that ACL uh, surgery, but he has recovered from that. Um, but certainly uh, a guy that I think if we're talking about in terms of upgrade, the upgrade is that USC's depth at running back is upgraded because you are bringing in Quentin Joyner and Amiri Peterson from the high school ranks, both players that I think can definitely make a push at USC, can contribute to USC. You might be able to see one of those guys next season a bit. They're both good physical running backs uh, that, uh, that that are, are kind of stalwart type of running backs that you can actually probably ride, you know, 20 plus times a game. I don't know if they're, they're going to be able to do that, you know, early on in their careers because you've got so many guys in the room. But those guys are both good, solid players. And then on top of it, you're bringing back Austin Jones, who we thought at the end of the season, you know, after the Notre Dame game, I'm thinking he might go. You know, he is playing really well. If USC is able to close out the season and he's able to continue to play at this level, he could go. And obviously that didn't happen. USC did not continue to play at that level. Um, they played almost opposite uh, against Notre Dame is how they played against Utah the second time. And, you know, Austin Jones just he, he just didn't have a good game in either of those games. Uh, Cotton Bowl also. So he ends up returning. you got a guy who's, you know, very good receiver. Um, I think, you know, what maybe Lloyd is not quite as good at doing. I think Jones is a little better at receiving the ball. Um, Jones is very much sort of a system running back. You, you know, if the offensive line is blocking well, he has good vision. He's going to get yards. He's going to get some extra yards. He's very good at leaning for his size. Um, Lloyd is like that as well. Lloyd can get, you know, he can break a tackle here and there. He's not a game breaker. You know, neither of those guys are, are, are going to take, um, you know, a, a big hole and be able to kind of break angles in the defensive backfield to take it for 80. They're, they're both kind of like 40-yard rushers. They're, you know, a big game for them is going to be 30, 40 yards. Um, you know, Relique Brown is the guy that's going to be the home run hitter for them. Uh, they got to get him, you know, consistent. And, again, it's, it's playing with the ball uh, out of your hands is what you have to become better at. You've got to be a better pass blocker. Um, you've got to do some things within the passing game, uh, running your routes and what have you. Uh, you have to be a good with the ball fakes uh, when it's, uh, you know, read option or it's just a straight play action. All those little things, those are the things that are going to get these guys on the field. And um, But it's a group that, again, physical, you know, there's, there's um, not even like huge running backs. There's no like 230-pound guys among this group. But we saw USC be able to have a pretty physical running attack just with Die, who, you know, barely was 200 pounds. And Austin Jones. So I think, you know, you have a little more size with Lloyd. You have a little more push. And again, I think the one thing that he adds that Jones doesn't necessarily have is that he can kind of play without the system a bit. There's going to be times where you might have a blitz. Somebody whiffs on an offensive uh, a block in the interior. And, and all of a sudden you got a big defensive lineman. You got a linebacker. It's all of a sudden in your face. This guy can make a move left or right and get away from that initial tackle and still get some positive yards. He may not break it into, you know, some amazing Reggie where he's going to go 60 yards for a touchdown, but he may be able to get three yards. He may be able to get five yards. And we talked about how that's so big just with Caleb Williams uh, going back to Mac, uh, Sam Darnold, you know, when he was quarterback at USC in those instances where, yeah, you know, it's great when the quarterback can gash the defense for 30 yards or what have you on a scramble, but 
it's also just important to get away from that negative seven yards because those negative plays can bury drives for a college offense. And so being able just to, to negate those big negative plays is huge. And I think Lloyd is that type of running back where, you know, even if you miss a block up front, he should be able to get away from that play and get some positive yards and keep the chains, you know, moving, keep on schedule, you know, instead of having a second and 17, well, now you've got a second and nine, then you got a second and eight. So big difference between those two types of downs. Absolutely. And with that, that kind of wraps up all the new additions that we needed to talk about for uh, the transfer class, which is, I don't know if I mentioned it, but it stands at number five in the country right now. And that should be moving up within the next 24 hours when Lucas gets his uh, 24-7 sports ranking uh, rating. And before we kind of go into our break, because we're kind of over, we, we like to do our break about an hour in, but we're a little bit past that. But I did want to kind of hit on some of the transfers that have been announced that are leaving USC. We talked about the guys that are coming in. I think we need to talk a little bit about the guys that are leaving and that have entered the portal. I honestly do not remember the last group of guys that we talked about. I believe it was defensive end Colin Mobley was kind of the last guy. But since then, we've had Gary Bryant Jr., which is a big one. Uh, wide receiver C.J. Williams, a freshman, former top 100 prospect, a Notre Dame kind of flip. And then today, on Wednesday, safety Britton Allen actually entered the portal as well. So those are the three new additions for that group. You know, the, obviously, the the big ones looking at it are wide receivers. You know, C.J. Williams and Gary Bryan Jr., which, you know, Bryan Jr., initially his plan was to not enter the portal and kind of stick around through spring, get his get his degree and kind of see what the landscape was looking like in spring football. But I guess something has changed in his mind and he has already entered the portal. And the 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 big one people were kind of talking about was CJ Williams. We actually got a question about CJ that I'm just moving up to here since we were going to talk about it for a little bit. But do you want to do the question or you just want to give your thoughts first? Well, I mean first and foremost obviously you know, C.J. Williams, a, a good young prospect, a possession receiver, you know, about 6'1", 6'2", you know, getting into that, you know, 200-pound range. He was physical. He was kind of, you know, a, a lot of – he did a lot of things well, didn't do anything great necessarily, right? You know, it wasn't like, you know, the biggest receiver as a possession Which isn't bad. Receiver. Which isn't bad. Certainly wasn't the, the, the fastest, you know, so you kind of wondered where he, you know, fit in there uh, for USC – like you said, a kind of last-minute flip from Notre Dame. Um, Xavier Alford also uh, going to Arizona State, which was just recent. Uh, with Gary Bryant Jr., you know, I talked to Gary Bryant and his father when he announced or it was reported, I think it was reported by Rivals, where he was he was coming back and he wasn't, you know, going to go to the portal. And, um, you know, I, I, I'd known his dad for a, a few years now, I mean, a number of years now. And um, we kind of talked about it. And my vibe then was he's still going, you know, it's, it's kind of semantics here. He wants to get the degree and then move on. And I was like, so are you, are you going to do, are you going to play in this, the bowl game? Are you going to, you know, practice in the bowl? Like what's going on with that? And it's like, Nope. <laughs> I was like, okay. So what about with spring ball? I was like, well, you know, we'll see. And I just, it kind of felt like he was going to go. And I don't think this was like a surprise to the coaching staff. And I think 
you know, of that group, if we're looking at all the guys that have left USC, uh, going back, Raina Goldford, a linebacker, pretty productive. I mean, on paper, his stats, if you're a Washington fan, you're going, well, hey, man, this is a guy that had some production. And you know what? He could end up being pretty good at Washington. You know, I, I think that's going to say a lot sort of about Alex Finch's scheme and, you know, how he played at USC versus what he ends up doing at Washington. You know, he may get lost in the sauce of Washington. They've got some other guys there, but he's a guy that, you know, has shown flashes a little bit, but in that defense last year, he was just clearly out of position way too much, man. Like, especially down in the red zone. That's what I was talking about with Eric Gentry, who, you know, has that je ne sais quoi of just great instincts, great vision, that long body. He's such a hard player, such a variable, you know, such a wild card to have in the red zone with him just kind of like prowling the middle of the field and the hash marks and what have you. Uh, but once he went down, you had Raylan Goforth go in. It was just um, not the same at all. And you saw several plays where there were just busted coverages or just, you know, just bad plays. And Goforth pretended to be the guy that was, you know, five yards behind the play. Uh, Julian Simon, who, you know, we, we never really got to see a guy that was a, an all American. Um, he ends up going to Tulsa. Interesting spot for him to go to Tulsa. I thought, you know, talent wise, he might get picked up. He might end up at Washington, but didn't happen. Ends up at Tulsa. Xavier Alford, a, a very good player when he's healthy. You know, that's what you can say about Xavier Alford, a guy that's uh, a very skilled free safety type, not a big uh, safety, pretty small, kind of more built like a corner, quite frankly, uh, but really good ball skills, good vision, uh, but a guy that's just constantly got some type of injury issue, you know, with his shoulders and what have you. And so that's plagued him throughout his career. He just has not been able to be a guy that could play uh, consistently. We're going to have to see what happens with him in Arizona because, you know, he transferred to USC from Texas. So the whole waiver thing is a bit of a, a, a question mark um, for a lot of these players. It seems like they're getting waivers for what I don't know. But, you know, he's going to go to ASU and, and maybe potentially play next year. Kobe Pepe um, leaving on the defensive line. We didn't really see much of him. Uh, one of the few 300-pounders at USC at defensive line. Taylor Katoa, who came back from his mission at linebacker, never really played, coming away from the ACL surgery. Cole Mobley, a DMV guy, big body, kind of came to USC like he was an edge guy, five technique. He actually did put on the weight, ended up being 290, never played, never saw. So, you know, another guy that, you know, just uh, no production there. Um, Gary Bryant Jr. is clearly like the most productive, more talented player on that list, for me at least. I mean, guy who was a threat, for special teams, a great vertical threat, a pretty good run blocker as a receiver, um, a guy that I think you know would 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 get some run next year uh, with uh, with um, with Addison out, you know Jordan Addison leaving, um, you know, and Gary Bryant early in the season was was getting some starting reps. I mean, he was looked at as a guy that was you know coming in the season as being a potential starter. It was just you know how how does he you know get in the rotation there with. Uh, Taj Washington. And Taj Washington's really the guy who's taken that place, right? And and, and sort of, um, you know, been able to to get the production and uh, maybe a little more natural receiver, maybe a little better guy um, with the ball in his hands after the catch. Uh, it's debatable, certainly. You know, Bryant, a little more linear, a little more straight line, fast, uh, not necessarily a guy who's, you know, super quick that you're going to see, you know, make a lot of guys miss in the uh in the in the screen game you know with whether it be a you know tunnel screen bubble screen he's not that kind of guy fast whereas Taj Washington might have a little bit you know a little bit more agility 
uh, you know, kind of a short area quickness. Um, but still, I mean, Gary Bryant, I think that the most talented, productive player, CJ Williams leaving, um, a talented player, not super productive, didn't really see much of him. Um, and then Britton Allen is uh, the other guy, the safety from IMG that USC had, who um, had that really bad uh, injury. Uh, I think, was it an injury? An injury? He had a leg injury there. Uh, one of the- uh, he had a he had wrist surgery and he had a neck injury and then he had uh, ACL tear in 2021. And yeah. I think he had like a broken leg or something. I vaguely remember him posting like uh, a X-ray of maybe a broken leg or something like that. So he, he's had some injuries. Yeah, a lot of injuries. So you know, another guy that we really didn't see a lot, not very productive, um, but it opens up a spot, you know, for for another player. And certainly, uh, I think, you know, USC's looking for another safety. Wouldn't shock me, you know, if they went to the portal for a safety. There are some good players that have been there. But I think, you know, if they could, they've been trying to find that guy that can play safety and kind of play corner, sort of a nickel safety out of the high school ranks. You know, they've had several different um, scholarship offers go out this cycle and guys going elsewhere. We're going to get into that. There's a, there is a, some interesting news perhaps uh, that is developing on that front um, at the high school ranks. And I'm sure we'll get into that maybe later. Maybe later, but I did want to ask this question about CJ Williams that I'm just moving up since we were talking about these guys, but guys, does the CJ Williams transfer hurt us at modern day? That aside, even though we have lots of receiver depth, do you, don't you think we'll miss his potential? That comes from David L. Law. Yeah, I mean, he had potential. I think he was a good possession receiver and a guy that uh, worked hard. Um, but, uh, you know, what it does at modern day, I don't know. I don't I don't think so, really. I think, um, you know, you've got Relique there. And, you know, USC is going to be making a big move at modern day this next cycle. You know, we're going to see what happens. They got to move uh, in there. Yeah, I mean, obviously, at offensive line. They want to make a big move there with uh, DeAndre Carter, the 6'4", 320-pound offensive tackle who, who probably projects a little more as an inside guy. Uh, Brandon Baker, who's uh, rated the number one offensive tackle, I think, by 24-7 sports right now in the 2024 class. So mm-hmm. he's actually moved up. Um, you know, it, it, there's, there's certainly a lot of young potential there at modern day in the secondary as well that they're going to be recruiting, not just 2024, with uh, Xavier Brown, but also in the 2025 class with guys like Chuck McDonald. So they're going to be in modern day big time. Um, USC's got to win football games, you know, and they did this past season. Now, you know, we'll get back into that whole conversation of like, why wasn't it not the elite class that people expected, right? Why wasn't it the, you know, the Pete Carroll classes when you win 10, 11 games at USC, you know, you're just used to having that top five recruiting class to go with it. And we talked a little bit about the recruiting lag and how recruiting tends to sort of lag a year behind production on the field. And we're not used to that, having covered USC, because usually those 10 or 11 games that you win are after a season where you won 10 or 11 games, right? That's that's how it was in the Pete Carroll era. And the truth is right now, the program is coming away from six, seven years of a pretty mediocre to very low uh, level of football. You know, you had some eight game winning seasons there that were okay. And then you had some really bad five and seven seasons and four win seasons. And so 
you are really kind of rebooting the program right now. So you have to maybe have a little more patience than in the past where, and, and I'll be the first one to admit and, and to apologize for raising expectations because at the beginning of the season, people are asking me, what's the ceiling for the 2023 recruiting class, Gerard? Like, what, where, where does it go? And 10, 11 wins, I'm like, you know, the ceiling is, is really hard to gauge at that point. You know, it's the sort of sky's the limit. When USC wins 10, 11 games, the recruiting, the recruiting cycle is usually very, very successful. Now, you know, it's been somewhat successful. I think they're top 10 now with Anthony Lucas in the overall rankings. And we kind of have to look at that nowadays. We have to include the transfers because they are directly affecting the recruiting class out of high school. You know, you're looking at guys at a high school now and going, yeah, we, we, we like him as a low four star, but he's just not going to be as good as somebody we can get out of the portal. And so you're not recruiting that guy anymore. So your high school ranking is going to suffer because of that, but your overall ranking will not. So, you know, it's a top 10 class right now. If you're just talking about new additions for USC. So, you know, we'll see if it continues to, 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 to boost up. Um, the transfer ranking, as Chris just said, is top five right now. Um, it will improve. It will get better. I think there's going to be some other guys that are going to join the team that will move the needle. Um, but for the high school rankings, yeah, we have to sort of look at these kids and sort of what their frame of reference for USC football is. And it's not very good because the Clay Helton era was, was, was nationally pretty much irrelevant. And you had some really bad seasons there. And for some of these guys, that's all they know of USC football. Some of these guys, uh, they're just, they don't follow football traditionally. They, they maybe don't have relatives that were big USC fans that know that when USC has competent coaching, you're going to have a run at Pac-12 championships. And if you've got really good coaching, you're going to be among the top uh, teams nationally year in and year out. And, and, and actually being able to go from winning four games to potentially being in a college football playoff, which is basically where we were in November. Gerard, if there's nothing else, I think it's time we should take our break for getting into the second half of the show, which includes a lot of questions. Let's do it. Let's transition. Let's transition. So we'll be right back after this break. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app. Gerard, how was the break? It was very short. Very short (laughs) indeed. It, it, It always goes by so quickly. And just before we get into the second half, I just wanted to say... If you are a fan of this podcast, thank you so much for listening. 
when I started this. We're going up on the end of season one, Gerard. I've decided to call these seasons being that it reflects with the cycle that we're on and the, the season will end uh, with the February signing period, which will be next month. Wait, 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 wait. I thought we went over this last – we went over this on one of the podcasts. No, we went over this off the record on the podcast. Oh, okay. I thought we were going April to April because I think we started this in like April, May, right? I thought you said that you wanted it to be – February should be the last one because we start the new cycle. No, we don't. Christian, Christian, oh, Christian, Christian, Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Oh no. The cycle these days now, because we have the transfer portal, we have the almighty portal. It's, you know, for the schools, even it's April to April now, because the first uh, official visits for the 2024 class will start in April. Right. So they, they, even the May evaluation period, April 15th. And you have the window for the portal, the second window, in May. So when schools are allotting their official visits, because you only get like 55, 56 official visits each cycle, which, you know, it's been pointed out these days is sort of a ha-ha because with NIL, (laughs) these boosters and these collectives are basically just paying for for trips and everything unofficially anyway. So it's like, you know, does it even matter that you get five official visits? But nevertheless you know, officially the visit uh, uh, allotment that you have each cycle, it goes from April to April. So that's always the thing that's interesting. And we've heard USC got in a little bit of trouble there a couple cycles ago because you're bringing a bunch of guys during the summer and you got to make sure that you have visits all the way into April because you will have some of these guys that are in the portal now they may not visit right away. Some of these guys may not be spring enrollees, right? They may wait until the June enrollment. So you can have guys on campus in April taking official visits. So it's it's a little different now. It's it's kind of a mess. It's a little different. But because we did not start this podcast until I want to say it was May. Maybe it was no, it was earlier than May. Do you remember? What's the you should know if, the if first, you if you give me, if you can stall for like 10 seconds. <laughs> you can pull it up and uh, figure out when we actually, the first podcast that we had. Yeah, this I is episode, feel... this will be episode 39. 39. Yes, so... the first episode was March 9th. Okay, okay. So interesting. So I, I would say, I would say season one should end on April Fool's. That's what I think. It should end on April Fool's? <laughs> April. I mean, April 15th okay. or something like that. Okay, well, then it has been established. Forget what I was just about to say in terms of the season <laughs> ending. It is not ending for another several months. But it keeps I just going, want, baby. It Woo! keeps going. I did, I did just want to say, though, if you enjoy listening to the show, if you could please leave us a five-star review uh, with the Peristyle podcast and, you know, just shout us out. I love seeing them up there. Please do not in 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 a in a joke of the show do not give us a two star rating because that will affect our score please give us a five star rating but maybe you could be like five star rating but i it is actually a two star podcast so thank you for listeners i just want to say you know show us some love on the rating system uh leave some five star reviews that's all i just wanted to say the second half of this show now jumping back into it gerard i know you had 
some you've been churning out these transfer target lists. It seems like every couple of days you're getting they're well, getting updated. Every couple of days, USC's churning out new offers and new commitments. So this is something that we do. I mean, we were, we're doing daily, not so much now, although it might pick up again. I gotta actually update it because we don't have Anthony Lucas uh as a commitment. I think Jack Sullivan was the last commitment that uh we put on there, but I mean, it's a little different than the target list that we do for high school, just because a truncated, a truncated period of time in which all of this happens, you know, these guys jump in the portal and then it's like a week and boom, they're already committed somewhere. So just trying to keep track of it, it's gotta be more of a daily thing. So I actually adjusted some things to be able to um, do that just more often. It wasn't such a pain in the butt code wise to be able um, to update them. So yeah, this is something that we do, you know, almost daily, certainly weekly, uh, we update uh, these target lists and it just um, try to keep people on top of who's going where, you know, the guys spe- specifically keeping track of the guys that USC has offered officially when they've gone elsewhere. You know, we, we, we track that and we list that. And then obviously the guys that have scholarship offers for USC and have committed to USC. So it's a very easy way just to go through it. It's kind of a pain in the butt to go on the transfer porthole uh, database side of things and trying to, you know, search and figure out and, and who's going where and, and what have you. That's kind of a mess. I think that needs to be um, on the back end uh, organized a little better. It's just, um, you know, everything we're doing is sort of uh, in, in the previous couple of years has just been, um, you know, augmented from the recruiting uh, high school cycle. And the transfer portal is just not that. It's very different. You know, these guys jump in the portal. It's a small amount of time. And uh, and there's two whole cycles to it. And like we said, you know, this is a first window and it's a window where uh, the, the players can inform their schools. They want to transfer and they go in the portal. They can still take visits after the porthole window shuts. Right. This is not the end of their recruitment. It's just the end of being able to announce and go into the portal and, and actually say you're going to transfer um, after the 18th. You're not going to have any more announcements of, you know, I think my teammates and my school and, you know, everything. And, you know, I'm going to leave now sitting. So too bad for you. Um, it's, you know, we'll have that again in, in, in May. You have that to look forward to um, the, the Instagram, uh, you know, uh, Oh, glory to God. Um, I, I appreciate all my teammates that got, notes this place. <laughs> but uh, sorry, suckers. I'm going to USC. Well, now it's time for you to do your classic, just run through your target list real quick. Because there has been some changes and some updates and some new guys to keep an eye on. I don't know. Is it really? <laughs> is it really? I thought we were going to get in. You know, I thought we were going to get into talking about Marvin Harrison and potentially Damani Jackson. Oh, what is it? Is it? Is it unsubstantiated rumor time? <laughs> I know everyone's that's where, favorite. I know that's what everybody's waiting for. Everyone's favorite segment in the history of this podcast on every, rumor. Everybody kind of wants to uh, to get into the you know what if uh you know the 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 version of um you know usc getting uh, all these crazy players you know we already we already you know mentioned uh walter nolan and we had to, we had to at least at least get a little marvin harrison jr sort of uh uh clip in there right a little blurb about him you know that that smoke what do you think chris what do you, well, what do you the, think the, well that? marvin harrison hasn't has, he officially shot all that down chris hasn't he officially shot it down i believe he trolled I believe he trolled at some point. Uh, I may be wrong, but I thought he, he trolled at some point. But there has been a lot of, you know, those uh, uh, faceless, nameless Twitter accounts that 
quote-unquote cover US, uh, not USC recruiting, but college football recruiting, and they make those edits where it's like so-and-so rumored to be... You know, there's been a lot of that. There's been a lot of Marvin Harrison Jr. in USC uniform edit. There's been a lot of that. There's been a lot of... There's been more than know, that. There's been more than that, too. Well, that's just been what I've been rumors. saying here. Listen, listen, let's get this straight. Unsubstantiated rumors, Chris, okay. are not just things that we pull off of Twitter. Like, come on, please. You know, they, they, there's a little more smoke. I, more I was just saying what we, I've seen since we stated that on the first segment and the oh, only okay. segment of unsustained rumors. I'm just saying what I've seen a lot of lately in the last, like, week or so with, you know, college football playoffs, uh, Ohio State out of the playoffs, obviously. I mean, that's what I've been really seeing in terms of there's been like, I feel like I see one every other day of just like uh, Marvin Harrison Jr. In a, in a USC uniform. Like, when is it going to happen? Who's his quarterback going to be next uh, season, Chris? Uh, uh, Devin Brown. Devin Brown? Okay. okay. That's my guess. Okay. So moving on to target list additions and subtractions. Okay. So we did our part there and we you know, got people revved up for that. Um, but let's get to the facts. All right, let's get to what's actually happening right now uh, that we can report on. And so, um, you know, we still have a couple offensive linemen out there. And we talked about uh, – we basically talked ourselves into saying USC should probably get more offensive line uh, recruits and they should be offensive tackles more than guards. So <laughs> you still have uh, Stanford's uh, offensive tackle, Walter Rouse, who's out there. Who's um, you know, He actually uh, just committed to Nebraska. Oh, well, then, then, then no. <laughs> He's not Nebraska. <laughs> I'll, guy, I'll race it. I'll race it from the thing. A guy that uh, uh, did uh, have a scholarship offer from USC. I don't know if he ever visited USC, though. I don't um, think so. I, but DMV guy. Yeah, we, 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 we talked about him a little bit. He didn't. See, I mean, he, he was not uh, as, as uh, coveted as Jerry Kingston. But not at all. Not at all. So, but another guy. I don't know why you're still that, talking about him. I don't know why you're still talking about him. <laughs> but, well, I mean, because, you know, that, that would be another guy that you could bring in. That would be a solid offensive tackle that would give you good depth at offensive tackle, you know, and you, and you can continue to have the guys on your roster who maybe, you know, played a little offensive tackle, but their ceiling is higher on the interior, you know, so uh, that, that would be a, a guy like that. Miami, uh, John Campbell Jr. Has he committed yet, Chris? Because I, apparently I'm a little out of the loop on uh, uh, what's, uh, what's, what's happening right here right now as we record this podcast. It's so long that there's guys actually committing and decommitting um, during the podcast, but Miami uh, offensive tackle John Campbell Jr. had USC in the top four. Has not officially visited USC yet, uh, to my knowledge. He was talking about maybe visiting last weekend along with Jerry Kingston, uh, but um, to my knowledge, at this point, he has not been on campus at USC yet. So for he, the offensive line, in terms of the he guys committed that they, to Tennessee, bang, there you go. That must have probably happened today, right? That happened recently, within the last <laughs> 48 hours, I believe. Four days ago, we recently done it. Um, but, uh, yeah, so those two guys off the board. There you go. Perfect. Chris, this is this is why you're here. We're just doing yeah. some house cleaning right now. Yeah. I'm the producer as, and editor of this. I'm just. As I'm blabbing away and everything, things are happening. And Chris is able to, to, to keep up on them and uh, be able to browse the internet. And, um, you know, there's two guys that USC had scholarship offers for. Uh, that are off the board. So we'll see, you know, do more scholarship offers go out there? Uh, do they make a push at some other guys? Because I think in this situation, both of those players, you know, maybe more depth 
than uh, than than they are guys that are you know you really look at and are going to be impact players that are going to play right away. Um, I think um, you know UVA uh, Logan Taylor was another guy we had talked about. He's committed now to Boston College, um, so that that's another player. Didn't have a scholarship offer from USC, uh, but was a guy we talked about um, at receiver. There's been a lot of talk about Cal wide receiver J Michael Sturdivant mm-hmm. um, at 65 receptions for seven. 155 yards and seven touchdowns last year. Had a very good game against USC. To my knowledge, and again, this can change daily, does not have a scholarship offer from USC yet. So a lot of people were kind of like, you know, that would be a great get for USC. Uh, we know that, um, you know, he's visiting, I think, TCU, or he just visited TCU last weekend. And uh, UCLA is very involved with him. But don't know that he has a scholarship offer from USC yet. The last time I checked, uh, which was, I think, Monday, I think I was talking to somebody. Uh, he was uh, not on the board yet uh, for USC having a scholarship offer. So 6'3", 205 pounds, very good athlete. Um, but, you know, we talked about it before, man. The bar is very, very high at wide receiver for USC. Um, you lose C.J. Williams, so it's like, okay. You know, but you also gained Darian Singer, who was uh, one of the top, if not the top wide receivers in the Pac-12 last year next to Jordan Addison. And uh, you're bringing in uh, Makai Lemon, and you're bringing in Zach Branch, and potentially – Jacoby Lane. We don't know what's happening with Jacoby Lane yet. That's, uh, you know, still up in the air. Uh, but, um, you know, we'll, we'll see. But the bar is very high for USC at receiver. Um, you've got to get some guys who have crazy numbers production-wise, maybe like a Dorian Singer or some just like really, really good athlete um, that uh, I think has to have some production. And, and Sturdivant has had production. I mean, he's, he's definitely – you know, 65 receptions, 755 yards is nothing to sneeze at. Um, but uh, I could see where if USC, um, you know, did not uh, offer him, I, I don't think anybody's going to, you know, necessarily make a big deal out of that, uh, where the offense is and where the receiver position is at. Um, on defense, defensive tackles, they'd offered Texas State. Devon Sears, we talked about him a little earlier, another 6'2", 290-pound, big body, an interior guy. He's committed to Oklahoma. Um, Michigan, uh, defensive, uh, lineman, he's kind of an interior guy, but I think, you know, big body, uh, from Germany, Julius Welshoff, I mean, Welshoff, I think that's right. Um, I don't think he's committed anywhere yet. Uh, again, we've been talking long enough that, uh, you know, things (laughs) have happened. Uh, wars have been won and lost. No, you're Um, good. You're good. We talked about, uh, edge rusher, Jordan Birch. He's gone to Oregon um oklahoma and and i do not know how to pronounce this last name i should have looked it up i forgot to um just just do it go with your gut egg will be oh god uh david egg will i'm gonna give it to you i'm gonna give you the score Um, i'm sure you can look it up uh somewhere on oklahoma's roster phonically it probably has it written out um, I'm not very familiar with him. Uh, I think he, I think he came to Oklahoma as an edge rusher. If I remember out of high school, USC did not recruit him very much, but this is a guy that had 109 tackles, two sacks. Um, I think he was like one of the top tacklers uh, for Oklahoma last year playing inside linebacker. So another inside linebacker and a guy that, you know, has a lot of production behind him, a much bigger body. Uh, if I recall, cause I, I think he like lost weight to play middle linebacker last year. And he was like, he was bigger, and I think now he's like 240, 245. So uh, a pretty big dude, um, you know, bigger than than a Mason Cobb, who, you know, everybody just kind of penciled in there, going to play Mike Linebacker. I think there's potential he could play Will. He could slide 
uh, Eric Gentry out to play more of a nickelbacker. I mean, maybe that's just my own uh, my own wrinkle. In Devi- my own devious schemes. I've devious been talking schemes. about that. I mean, yeah, I just I like that. But you know what? I mean, I mean, it's like with me and Mason Murphy and kicking him down to playing guard. You know, that just might be in my own head. That's just what I see. I just have to be honest with what I see and as an analyst um, explain what I see. It doesn't mean I'm right. But I think we all just try to see, you know, genuinely uh, and honestly things. And if you're wrong, be able to explain them. You know, I'm never above explaining things, uh, even if I'm wrong about them. Uh, like I said, you know, with Marshawn Lloyd, I mean, just was told flat out like he just wasn't a guy USC was recruiting. And boom, next thing you know, he's committed to USC. So, you know, it happens sometimes. Um, I have and, uh, pronunciation. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So I was a Igwobu, I think I was saying. Yeah. It's a Gwebu. A Guaybu. Okay, I wasn't way. You weren't far off. You were. You were yeah. in the. You were in the ballpark. Um, what was bad is like I, I wrote it. I just kind of like jotted his name down, and I just didn't even look at it at all. So when I was sitting here reading, I go Oklahoma David, and I go, oh shoot, I didn't even remember how to. <laughs> that's that's a different one. Um, a Guaybu. So there's another name that you know that we will have to remember. Uh, it, it may be uh, important to us, maybe not. You know, that's the transfer portal for you. Uh, and uh, last but not least, defensive back Fresno safety um, Evan Williams, who was super productive at Fresno, good player at Fresno State. He's going to Oregon, so Oregon, Oregon's right there, man. They keep getting guys too. Nike's doing their thing. Um, they're gonna, you know, NIL. They'll they'll, they'll have a, a place at the table. Certainly, uh, we'll see what happens. You know, when USC moves to the Big Ten, and you know, we start to see the the, the conference, um, you know, um, food chain, you know, start to play out a little bit. Uh, but uh, Oregon's recruiting uh, particularly well on defense. You know, they've got uh, quite a few guys, like you said, with Birch. I would take Anthony Lucas over Birch for sure. Birch has got, I think, three years of college behind him. And, you know, if you talk to South Carolina fans or you just talk to South Carolina football writers, it's been a little bit of entitlement and some issues there with Birch, uh, just not playing up to his five-star status um, as a guy that, you know, has is, is, is got great physical skills but just um, very inconsistent. And, uh, you know, we'll see. Maybe, you know, just needs a fresh start at Oregon. Uh, but I think with Anthony Lucas, you know, he has he has yet to really get out there and show what he can do. But there's no reason to think that he can't do those things that we saw in high school. So uh, I think with him, you know, being a little closer to home also, you know, it, it'll just be better for him um, to be at USC. And, and certainly there's a position there for him to fill. Uh, but uh, in terms of the additions and the subtractions, that we've seen in the porthole, guys at the USC has offered scholarships too and have been recruiting. That's sort of the update uh, right now on that. Well, there you go. I appreciate the update and you just doing your thing. And glad I can help uh, with some pronunciations, even though I am the worst at pronunciations. So even Mateo Uyangalele. Look at that. I did it. I did it. Did you hear me? I did it. Uyangalele. And it uh, doesn't really matter because he's... And also chipping in on the uh, the guys that have committed while we've been doing this podcast. That's also very important. Yeah, shout out, shout out to them. Just very quickly, I did want to... We, we did want to touch on the All-American Bowl uh, really quickly before we get into some of the big picture. Uh, end of the season, Alex Grinch, National Championship game, Lincoln Rally meeting with the with reporters. I want to end on that, but just really quickly. All-American Bowl, I was at the All-American Bowl uh, in San Antonio, formerly the U.S. Army All-American Bowl, for for some of you that love to follow All-American games, USC only had one uh, participant. That was Quinton Joyner, the only representative. Malachi Nelson, Zachariah Branch, 
and Makai Lemon were out at the Under Armour game in Florida. Usually the West Coast kids play in the San Antonio one, but you know the juice was in Florida for them this year, and they, they went out there. Zachary Branch had a really big Parmerton score, was actually the team MVP for Team Viper, I believe. And Quentin Joyner, only one here. I believe Tackett Curtis was selected for the game, but, but de- declined the offer. Uh, but Quentin Joyner was there, uh, didn't actually stay for the game because the game is sort of, you know, moot at that point. USC did have some guys at the podium for commitments, but they struck out on all those. Tyler Scott, three-star cornerback uh, out of Georgia, committed to Auburn over the Trojans and several others. Payne Woodyard, the St. John Bosco, four-star safety in 2024 class, had USC on the table for him. But he committed to Georgia. And as we mentioned, I believe our last podcast, it's like, you know, it's 2024, committed to Georgia. Yes, Georgia's really hot right now, but USC will have the opportunity to recruit and play for that flip down the line. So, you know, more time for that one. Don't don't really worry about it. TJ Capers, a uh, four-star 2024 defensive lineman, had USC on the, the table as well, but he committed elsewhere. I actually do not remember where he committed off the top of my head. I believe maybe Louisville. That's just my guess right there at the top of my head. I, again, I did not witness it, but Quinn Joyner got to see him at a practice. Very athletic. They were really impressed by how quickly he had been picking up the the West offense. And uh, head coach at St. John Basso, Jason Negro, the reason I have this job at 247, he was the West head coach, so I got to talk with him about Joyner a little bit. He was really impressed by how quickly he was picking up and said, you know, that's something that's going to bode well for him when he gets to USC because the offense they're kind of running at that bowl was kind of similar to what USC runs out here. So it was going to be, it was going to help him when he get on camp, when he gets on campus, he is on campus. Now all those guys are on campus, the early enrollees. So he was very impressive. He's a very quiet kid, but he has a lot of explosiveness. They were really impressed by his athleticism and he had a couple of nice runs in the game overall. So Got to talk with him a little bit, and yeah, he's really excited to get on campus, and his goal from day one is to play early as a true freshman, and Coach Kyle McDonald said best man is going to play, so his intention is to be that best man. Learn to pass block, young man. There you go. Learn to pass block. And I also did a little bit of the underclassmen combine, but wasn't as fruitful as we've seen in years past, Gerard. Wasn't as fruitful. Yeah, surprisingly so. You think with a lot of those Texas kids, you know, that USC is going to be in Texas recruiting heavily. And, you know, with the season that they had, it would uh, result in a lot of those guys talking about taking official visits and unofficial visits to USC. But not a lot of guys that had offers. So that might still come. You know, a lot of Texas kids, but just not ones with offers. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, that that could change. And we know USC loves to recruit Texas, but um, certainly if they're going to make that big move, they're going to have to recruit locally first. So you got to put that fence up, kick Oregon out of here, um, battle UCLA, and um, get uh, the majority of the top players locally, and then you kind of want to cherry pick nationally. Now let's move into our final segment of us talking before we get into some questions, but sort of end of the season wrap up and kind of look at recruiting with a bunch of different kind of topics we wanted to touch on. You know, they have the national championship game. Alex Grinch is coming back. Lincoln Riley had 
a media meeting, uh, intimate meeting, intimate media meeting, excuse me, that I was a part of and kind of hinted at some things for recruiting uh, to finish up this cycle at 2023, which we will kind of end on that point. But Gerard, I just wanted to get your thoughts on the confirmation that Alex Grinch will be returning for 2023. You know, there was a lot of criticism and outcry against him and his defense to end the season with that meltdown in Tulane and the performance in the loss in the in Las Vegas for the Pac-12 championship. What are just your thoughts on uh, that decision and you know moving forward with the defense? It's not a surprise at all. I think to either of us, I know uh, the pair style had their own inside information. It reminded me a lot of Urban Meyer. Like no matter what we were going to report and what we were going to say there was going to be a narrative on the message boards that would just carry regardless. And, um, you know, the Urban Meyer thing we reported time and time again, it just was a non-starter for USC. It wasn't going to happen, but it didn't matter. <laughs> there was still plenty of talk about Urban Meyer. And with Alex Grinch getting fired, it was still a lot of uh, innuendo and a lot of people that are like, oh, yeah, you know, something's happening. And just uh, no source that I trust uh, gave that any credence and, and it just did not sound like it was going to happen so yeah gerard was super unbothered by all of it he was like yeah not hearing that i don't care about jim Leonard. not hearing any of that i know there's like a, a bunch of people going something's gonna happen something's gonna happen but he was like when it happens we'll know what happens because that's kind of how it works sometimes it's like it was like clay helm you know like there was there was you you knew when it wasn't going to happen for sure you know because it was just like you know people would say no that's just not the cards right now and regardless of, um, you know, telling people what they want to hear, which has become a business model for some sites, um, that was just just not in the cards. And I mean, I understand why it's it, and, and people will say, well, you know, he was at Oklahoma and you got to go back and look at Oklahoma. Well, I don't think Lincoln Riley is entirely looking at what happened at Oklahoma and what went on in Oklahoma with what goes on here. If you're going to have your defensive coordinator leave with you in the middle of the night from Oklahoma and, and trusting you to go to USC, you're probably as a coach going to want to, uh, you know, reward that loyalty to some extent and give him another year. And, and as, as pointed out also on the peristyle after all this is sort of settled. And it's, it's a point that I've brought up with other coaching moves. Um, if you're Lincoln Riley, you know, you don't want to necessarily make those type of moves so quickly. And again, I know people will say, oh, it's not quickly, it's not quickly. It's, it's, uh, he was at Oklahoma, and Oklahoma wasn't very good at defense, and la, la, la. But the, 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 the optics are, you know, he came with him from Oklahoma and trusted that, you know, they were going to go to USC and they were going to build a champion, and then he got cut, you know, first year after 11 wins. After an 11-win season, folks. And I know defense didn't always play well in an 11-win season, and a lot of the – uh, success is going to be put on the shoulders of the offense, but it was an 11 win season nonetheless, which is, you know, two, three games more than I think most of us that are living uh, in the, in, in the real world expected from USC this season. So, you know, the next guy that you're going to want to bring in, and if things are not going to turn around for USC in 2023 on the defensive side of the ball, you know, wants to feel like he's going to have a chance to succeed, that he's not going to get clipped in a year or two because the defense isn't playing well. Um, there's something to be said for that in terms of your respectability within the coaching community. And I think, you know, Lincoln Riley understands that. 
And that's part of this also. There's a bigger picture to it. And that's why with USC firing Lane Kiffin the way they did was such an embarrassment. And it really hurt them with a lot of coaches. You know, they just thought that that was stupid. It was unnecessary. And um, it it, kind of was a black eye for USC in the coaching community. So I think moves like this, it's very understandable. On the bottom line, I don't think Lincoln Riley really ever considered uh, making this move seriously. Um, I think, you know, they feel like he's he's definitely got another year. And and next year, if they play poorly, if they have these type of games where, you know, they just have meltdowns or you're just trying to outscore people. And listen, I'm the first one to tell you, you cannot win national championships just trying to outscore people. Those type of teams have come and gone in college football. And I think, and I've said this many times, and I'm going to keep beating this drum because it, it, it reminds me so much, USC last year was a lot like those teams that Chip Kelly had at Oregon. It's a different offense. You know, it's a different team. But the mentality and the philosophy of we're just going to win the possession game, we're going to go out, we're going to be aggressive, and our offense is going to dictate the game. Right, we're going to take the ball first. We're going to go down a score, and if you trip up at all on offense, we're going to be two or three scores on you, and it's going to force you to get out of your game plan offensively, which will play into the, the, the hands of our defense, and that's where we get turnovers, and that because all of a sudden now you're having to pass the ball to try to catch up, etc. And that's how you know Kelly basically played. Now they ran the ball a lot more, but they were doing that fast offense, and it was just like boom, boom, boom. We're going to dictate how the game is played through how we play offensively. The problem is offenses always have one or two games at the very least where they're going to play flat. Maybe it's an injury to your quarterback. Maybe, you know, the the, the starting wide receiver is hurt or not 100%. You know, you lose an offensive lineman or two offensive linemen. Maybe, you know, the team was out uh, at, for, uh, uh, you know, the, the Ferraris a little bit or not the uh, the the uh, fraternities, I actually said fraternities there. I actually, I, I, I Chris, I, I made a new word by combining two words, sorority and fraternity. Uh, fraternity. Fraternity. God dang it. Fraternity. <laughs> fraternity. I'll show you how much time I spent on fraternity row um, in college, which was none. Why I had 3.8. <clears throat> Excuse me. Oh, um, oh. Anyways, um, uh, but nevertheless, um, Nerd Gerard uh, did the fraternity. Our fraternity followers are not going to like that. <laughs> Do we have any priorities at Torino Tech? Let's get some. Um, yeah, let's get some. We'll, we'll add those. Does that mean you're taking the job? <laughs> I'm asking. See, you got to recruit me. You got to have priorities in, in order for me to be interested, evidently. Um, <laughs> you just so dunked anyways. on them. I'm not going to add them if you just dunked on them. I okay, get rid so of them. Well, what were we talking about again? Um, you know, it's just one of those things, though, that, you know, just trying to, you know, dictate with offense and outscore and, and people are quick to say, oh, you know, college football's changing and look at, you know, uh, the, the Georgia Ohio State game, etc. Hey, man, I, I all I saw was Georgia just whooped the hell at a TCU and just rinsed them as one of the best teams defensively. Rinse. What a great and, use of the term rinse. They got rinsed. And and, and, and that's in and, and the better teams in college football this year, still teams that predominantly known for playing defense, you know, Alabama's of the world and what have you. So yeah, there've been some teams that have played well with offense. And I think, you know, one of the best offenses, one of the exceptions to the rules, probably LSU, you know, when, when LSU went on their run, they, they probably had, you know, one of the best offenses that was kind of unstoppable. I mean, it just seemed like, wow, this, this team is just, just, just so good. And they were led by Ed Ergeron, the defensive line coach. And uh, LSU, you know, traditionally is always known for having great running backs and defenses, not really offenses. So kind of a weird twist there. But um, nevertheless, 
you know, the, the point being, yeah, USC's got to get a lot better defensively. They got to play defense. And the, and the team, philosophically, there's got to be balance there. Um, there's got to be balance with the play calling. And, you know, there's just got to be things done to make sure that the defense is playing better. And, and it, maybe it means you got to run the ball more in practice to get the, the front seven uh, better at, at shedding blocks and actually tackling open field. I don't know what it is, but philosophically, it's one of those things that, you know, we've seen with offensive coordinator type head coaches where it's like, hey, man, you know, it, it, we're just going to outscore you. You know, we're just going to go out there and we're just going to run around and whatever. And then you go play a big boy team. And the same thing happened with LSU or excuse me, with with Oregon um, when they played LSU and they played Auburn and they played those other teams. All of a sudden that offense just ain't running around anymore. You know, they had time to prepare for your offense. I'm going back to what we talked about in the beginning of the podcast with the second year of Lincoln Riley. I mean, I think you can expect that there's going to be games where it's going to be way more like Oregon State, where, you know, teams have had an offseason to, to look at the tendencies from Caleb Williams, to look how he runs, when he runs, where he wants to run, uh, look at USC's, just their, their formations and everything. And every it's just going to sort of come back, even if the Pac-10 doesn't or the Pac-12 doesn't have the best defenses in the world, they're still going to make a, an impact on how they're able to prepare for you and not give you anything easy. And so, you know, the other aspects of the team, special teams and defense are going to have to step up and play much better. Absolutely. And you're on record as saying that uh, you like Grinch. I think uh, he's smart and I think, mm-hmm. he, I think he understands what he's doing. I think philosophically, I almost feel like his approach is uh, what offenses are, have done in college football over the past few years with the air raid. So Alex Grinch comes from Missouri State, Washington State, sort of where he cut his teeth, right? And those are two programs where you're trying to mitigate the talent gap. The teams that you're going to be playing probably have a lot more talent than you do. So like the air raid on offense, you start trying to use the field. You're trying to use space against the other team. You're trying to mitigate the the talent gap. Well, we saw what the air raid looked like when Graham Harrell brought it to USC, and it didn't work well. Everybody thought, oh, man, this offense that at Washington State and North Texas and this school and that school, I mean, you've got these guys that are two-star, three-star guys, and you're able to you know, score 55 points a game. Shoot, what, that's, what is that going to look like when you plug in Amon Ross St. Brown and Michael Pittman and this guy and that guy? And it's like, well, a very one-dimensional offense that people – after that first year, um, you know, kind of figured out really quickly. And, you know, they had no run game and it was one dimensional and they had a, you know, offensive line coach who didn't really understand, I think, the, the, philosophy, the philosophy of that type of offense. And so you brought in Clay McGuire, but they still were not good. And so, I, I mean, again, I think for defensively, it sort of kind of feels like that's what Alex Grinch has is, is done is build a philosophy on the smaller defensive linemen and the smaller players and the guys that are not great recruits. And the, the, the thought is, well, you know, when you plug in those really good players to such a system, you know, it's going to be that much better. And that's just not how it works. You know, you, you, you have to have a system that's built around the type of players you can recruit. Um, that's why I think there's a lot of teams that, um, whether it be offensively or defensively, you, you see things just not work because it's like the talent base there for them is, is not going to be consistent. You know, when Nebraska goes and they try to run an air raid offense, 
you go, okay, that's probably not going to work. Why? Because you're not going to be able to recruit the type of players to run that type of offense. You're not going to be able to recruit a bunch of players to run any type of really pass offense. You, you probably need to be more of a run first option type of offense. Why? Well, I mean, that's what worked in the past with guys like Tommy Frazier and et cetera. So, you know, Miami is, it's like, I think with Mario Cristobal, they will probably be very successful running the football because when Miami's good, they run the football. Just like when USC's good, they run the football. Um, now, USC and Miami are both interesting because you've got so much talent. You know, you you can kind of like, I don't know, I, I think there's a lot more leeway there, a lot more flexibility. You know, there's a lot of good quarterbacks, good receivers. So if you're passing the ball more, I mean, it, I understand, you know, you, you say, hey, you know, you're still going to have a very good offense. Um, but there's other places where it's a little more restrictive. You know, I mean, Mario Cristobal trying to run a pro style offense at Oregon, I thought was just dumb because you're just not going to find uh, the pro style players consistently up there. You know, you're really going to have to work. And even though they were a good recruiting staff, it's still top. You're still going to lose dudes to USC as bad as USC is going to be or as bad as UCLA is. You're still going to lose players to them because you're just Oregon. You're up there and you don't have any really recruiting advantages locally. You know, guys are just going to go to Oregon because it's Oregon type of thing. Right. But USC has that, you know, UCLA has that, Miami has that. There's certain schools that always have that, but there's going to be a profile player that is easier to get consistently. And that tends to be what you want to build your scheme around. So when people ask me, what type of defense would you run at USC, Gerard? I'd say I run something that's a little more closer to a 4-3, or at the very least, if I run a 3-4 hybrid, I'm still running a two, or excuse me, a one-gap system. I don't want to run a two-gap system. I'm not going to get the 6'4", 330-pound, uh, you know, road grading type of defensive tackle that is just going to take up uh, the middle of the offensive line. He's just going to be a body catcher. He's just going to take up space. Those type of dudes that you see in the Deep South. They just – USC doesn't recruit those type of guys because those type of guys are not local. you got to go to Texas. you got to go to the Deep South to get those dudes, and those dudes are mama's boys. Those dudes have embraced their inner Bubba. But and it all West comes Coast, back to the Bubba. Yeah. And in the West Coast, you got a lot of Josh's and you got a lot of Marcus's and you got a lot of dudes who are out there and like, I'm not I'm the man. I play basketball and I, you know, I could do this and I could do that. I play volleyball and I'm an athlete. I'm an athlete. And you got to convince those dudes that are 265. Listen, you be an athlete all you want to be, but you're going to be an unemployed athlete unless you get to be 285 to 90, 300 pounds. And then you can move inside and then you can have yourself an NFL career. So. That's the, that's the big difference. You got to get the athlete guys that, that can run. And from that standpoint, I don't know that Alex Grinch's you know, philosophy doesn't work somewhat at USC, but at the higher levels, when you're playing against teams that are, that are winning conference championships like Utah, or they're getting in the college football playoff, you do have to have a personnel that can, you know, play toe to toe with those guys. Right. And, and so 270 pound defense tackles are not going to get it done. You got to have some, some some players now there may not be the 340 type uh you know type of nose guards that you might get at, at alabama or or georgia but you can have leonard williams at 295 at 6'5 and those type of sean cody those type of dudes can still get it done it's you want the one gap you want the athletic types but you still do have to have some type of size some type of power inside uh so that middle of the defense i mean you got middle of your defense if you're usc last year you had 270-pound defensive tackles, and you had a 210-pound Mike linebacker. That doesn't cut it in the Trinity League. 
Like there's they, I guarantee you Bosco and, and modern day both had way bigger players in the middle of their defense than that. So yeah, you got to evolve and get a little bigger. And um, you know, that's what the process USC is trying to do, but they definitely, and they continue need to get bigger. Cause like we talked about Anthony Lucas, you know, 275 pounds, is he going to, you know, put on the weight and, and, and play more inside? I don't know. You know, Tuli Tui Pelotu played a lot outside. He was playing linebacker a lot. He was 290 pounds, and USC probably could have used him more on the inside more consistently. Get those bubbas. Now, we do have to talk about the Lincoln Riley media meeting, but there is so much. That was like a two-hour thing. I don't know if there's anything specific you wanted to ask me about it, but there were some interesting things from a recruiting aspect that, that Riley did mention he did say that there is some big defensive front signees or transfer pickups that they have not announced yet. And he did say several. So uh, we're assuming Anthony Lucas, one of those guys, you know, some more on the horizon. And he did mention in terms of the high school recruiting class 2023, there is uh, quote two to four more guys that they were pursuing and they were really go after and and of course we've gotten a bunch of questions after that quote was was posted who are the two to four guys and there's a, <laughs> a, a i would say a circle of maybe five guys that fit that that profile obviously five-star tight end deuce robinson is one of those guys four-star cornerback Roderick pleasant is one of those guys four-star tight end out of Folsom walker Lyons is one of those guys and you can kind of debate who that fourth guy is it could be five-star athlete Nicholas Harbour, who did mention USC recently as part of his his kind of top five, uh, a late top five for him, but it always seems to be fluctuate and change. And there's also the four-star safety, Warren Roberson, who maybe USC is getting back in the picture for. So there are some, there are the, the narrowed down five for this uh, two to four quote. You stole my thunder there on Warren Roberson a little bit there. Um, uh, I'm sorry. I was going to try to allude to him at some point uh, because that's kind of what we talked about earlier in the podcast, a, a sort of late development year. I mean, he did not sign with TCU, which is interesting. I did not notice that he didn't sign. And um, how could you? You were doing a four hour live show. <laughs> there's some interesting um, social media follows and some things back and forth. So Warren Roberson officially visited USC in June. He was part of the golden hour. And we talked about this particular defensive back position a bunch, you know, just sort of like connecting dots and looking at body types and watching film. And we talked about USC that had Braxton Myers originally committed uh, during the spring. I think he committed officially in May, but he had silently committed earlier in the process. He was 6'195 pounds, plays cornerback in high school, but is a guy that you watch, you know, just physically and with speed he's a guy that you're going to be putting at a safety in college more than likely. Um, so he was kind of like the first guy that was that, you know, USC was talking about him playing boundary corner, but you got the sense uh, at the most, he's probably going to be like a nickel safety. Then they started recruiting Warren Roberson and Warren, it, you know, was a, a, a bit of like a under recruited, just like middle kind of mid three-star type guy that started really blowing up after the May evaluation period. School started going down there, checking them out and they liked what they saw. So he got a lot more scholarship offers there at the end of May going into June. But USC was the only school that I think he actually officially visited during the summer. 
So his commitment or his recruitment, excuse me, was very kind of strange. It was a guy that stock was going up and I was talking to him almost every week during the summer after he'd taken his official visit. And the sense there was for sure, he was not a guy that I actually was told was a silent commitment at the time. And I know that's been floated out there. Nobody actually told me he was silently committed to USC at that point. Because I know there were some emojis that went out and some other guys and everything. But he wasn't one of those guys. But he was a guy that I think USC felt very confident about. But the, the strange thing, and I, I think I said it then during the summer, was, you know, he and Braxton Myers kind of play the same position. Because Warren Roberson is playing a lot of corner. Uh, but he's a guy that's like, you know, 200 pounds, like six foot, probably going to be more of a safety. He's a really more athletic version, in my opinion, than Braxton Myers. And then Braxton Myers decommits. And I go, well, okay, that's probably because, you know, Warren Warburson is 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 ready to pop. And, and he was ready to pop at some point. Uh, we, we were setting it up for CBS Sports HQ. You literally setting it up. And, 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 um, and it just didn't happen. And you know what? I don't think he was completely ready. And I think his mom had a lot of reservations about USC at that point. And so, you know, I talked to his head coach there and said, Hey, you know what, man, if he's not ready, he's not ready. Like, I'm not, don't, I don't want you guys to feel pressured about this, but you know, how, you know, there's, there's certain time that has to be the, to, to give the guys at CBS a heads up and whatever, like, you know, we have to space this out and everything. And he wanted to drop this top four and he was talking about maybe, um, you know, committing and everything like that. So it was like, you know, just go with the, the, the favorites list. And um and give it some time and, and let us know you know talk to him and talk to his mom and everything call me back and, and let me know and we'll 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 get the logistics figured out and so time went on and 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 it was clear that he just wasn't ready you know to 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 feel confident about the decision yet and at that point he was talking about coming back out to USC for taking in the, taking an unofficial visit to to see one of the games or what have you and it just never happened TCU went on a great run Texas was recruiting him uh, they were pushing to get him on campus for an official visit as well. And so I, I kind of got the sense there as we got into the beginning of the season, like, ah, you know what? I think there's definitely some, some folks working in the background that would like to see him closer to home. And, and I know that, you know, his mom had some reservations about him uh, going out to Los Angeles. So you know, long story short or long story longer, however, uh, this podcast hits you, um, he did not sign and, uh, but there's been some follows back and forth and some things that, um, you know, kind of checking in, uh, behind the scenes that, uh, you know, maybe he's, uh, just, you know, kind of, um, looking around a little more. I tell you what's, you know, it's very interesting. This kind of goes back to, you know, the, the, the other segment we were talking about the defense and USC and, and how poorly they played in the last two games of the season, right? They get dog walked by Utah. And I understand Caleb Williams not healthy and that certainly made it look worse, but it was a blowout. It was a bad, bad game, you know? And um, despite getting a lot of criticism, you know, shotgun had said this, but you know, he got a lot of, he got a lot of criticism and, and I didn't understand it then. And I was like, uh, I, I responded to some posts like, I, I, you know, USC is not ready for the college football playoff and they were not ready. You didn't, you don't want USC to go to the college football playoff and have what happened to TCU. That that erases such a good season for TCU. That that game was so bad, so bad for TCU. I mean, it literally people were forgotten. Like that was a great season for them. That was a tremendous season for them. But 
man, you got pasted in that championship game. And that can undo some stuff for you. As good of a season as you have when you shite the bed in the last few games of the season, like that kills your momentum to some extent and the recruiting process. And so USC had a really bad game against Utah. Losing to a G5 school is never good. I, I said it, you know, before the game, USC didn't have a lot to win going to the Cotton Bowl other than say, yeah, we won the Cotton Bowl. And people are like, oh, Cotton Bowl. I remember when that was a big game. Um, but, you know, you beat Tulane. Oh, okay. You're supposed to beat Tulane. <laughs> so, and you don't beat Tulane. People are like, oh, my God, you didn't beat Tulane? That's a G5 school, man. So there really is no win for USC with that, unfortunately. Um, so, you know, that that not good. We're used to USC. When they win a 10 line of the games during, during the season, it's because they usually end the season really strong. Those Pete Carroll teams always, I mean, undefeated in November. Like, they just don't lose at the end of the season. Great in bowl games. Um, and even Clay Elton, you know, some of those seasons, like, you know, the 2016 season, which was really the best season by far for them, um, they they had a great season. It was really all toward the end of the year. They start the season out one and three, and then they go on this big run, and that really helped that recruiting class. Uh, so, yeah, it, it's usually how you end the year. It, it can definitely help momentum, and it didn't really work well for USC, but it was really bad for TCU, man. That just, uh, again, it's not fair. It's not fair that you can have that season, you beat Michigan, and, man, what happened against Georgia? Like, you just got completely run out of the building, and, um, you know, potentially maybe, you know, that's the kind of thing that some of these guys, these recruits are like, oh, you know, haven't signed. You start thinking about it and you go, well, you know, is that really where I want to go? So we'll see. We'll see what happens with Warren Roberson. But um, it's interesting, uh, some some things that have happened here uh, in the last, uh, you know, like 48 hours with that. And uh, we're, we're checking into it. We'll see if, uh, you know, there's potential. And I would think that he would want to get back on campus uh, if he was going to entertain USC's uh, continued interest. Um but, you know, Texas will be there. There'll be a couple of schools that, that, that look into him. He's a very good player. And again, that position, which is that sort of quasi nickel safety position, USC continues to go after guys. Tyler Scott was another guy that was, you know, pegged for that position. Um, they offered uh, the Auburn kid whose name, it was such a nonsense offer. I don't even remember the kid's name, JT or something. Um, the top of my head, he was committed to Auburn. He's from Auburn. You uh, you love this kid. Yeah, he uh, <laughs> it's just one of those. It's one of those things. It's just the name, you know. It happens in recruiting these days, you know. Just the name. It doesn't mean anything to anybody. Like, it's not worth memorizing. Uh, that was a that was something, you know, a little fart in the wind for USC. And um, but but Warburton is 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 more of a guy. Like he's he and really, like I said, even more than Braxton Myers because he plays on both sides of the ball. Like, Warren Warburton is like the guy for his team at Red Oak. Like he offense, defense, like it doesn't matter. Like the dude, he's, he's kind of a Jalen Smith in, in some ways, you know, that um, in fact, that's a pretty good comparison for him is Jalen Smith. He'll play you know, offense and be a very impactful, productive player on offense. And he'll be the same way defense. He'll play corner. If you've got a, a, a top receiver that you want to take out of the game, if it's more of a run type team, then he'll play safety, play near the line of scrimmage, uh, the whole, the whole thing. So USC's clearly still, looking for that type of player, you know, and, and I kind of feel like they get that out of the porthole a bit with Christian Roland Wallace, because he's a very physical corner, not a pure corner, not quite as good a coverage corner from what I've seen as, uh, as, as uh, Makai Blackman, although 
Makai Blackman really played well this season. I mean, that's, I think, again, a development uh, sort of feather in the cap for Dante Williams and USC because I think he was kind of like he was okay at Colorado, but he actually played really well at USC. But I don't know if Roland Wallace is quite um, as, as fluid as him as a, as, a, as, a, as a coverage guy. He's a, he's a bit more physical and probably a lot better near the line of scrimmage. So that's why when I'm looking at this nickel safety position at USC is just like they are just all in on trying to find this guy. And now you got Alford gone, although I think they knew Alford was going to leave for a while. Um, you're, you're trying to replace uh, him, but you're definitely looking for that that guy uh, in the 2023 class. And so if, if Roberson is still entertaining interest from other schools, yeah, USC is going to be all over it. And just saying in that vein of defensive backs, uh, Roderick Pleasant, it, it came out during this Under Armour uh performance not performance a time in florida that he is going to take his last official visit to usc and that should be coming up very soon I that'll think be coming up end. this weekend yeah that'll be the this end of weekend. The week. yeah i confirmed that um he is, is going big. to take uh the visit this weekend and then he's headed to the polynesian bowl um which i think i think checking is like sunday monday or something like that so he'll be doing we'll that be there whole thing yeah not uh, not us but yeah. uh ryan abraham and Jarrett, five stars only Perez, getting his first call up to the big leagues and going to cover the poly bowl, which neither of us have actually covered before. No, it's um, not the most action-packed week in terms of practices. Uh, the all-star games are kind of becoming a little bit of like a dog and pony show in terms of what you're actually getting from practices and actually evaluating from, from the standpoint of like analysis, you know, what these players look like, competition level. I mean, I, I, you don't even remember this because this goes back before your days. But, you know, back in the day at the Army All-American Bowl, the, the Monday and Tuesday of the first uh, practices, you would have two days. You had two practices Monday and Tuesday. So you come out for a morning practice and it'd be freaking 36 degrees and windy. And we'd be at a Lawson Field and they'd go through and they'd have their position drills and they'd have, you know, a little bit of like team stuff. And then we come back after lunch. And it would be like full on practice, you know, full pads and everything. And they do that Mondays and Tuesdays. And then they have one practice on Wednesday and then they would have one practice on a Thursday. And usually Thursday, they would have a scrimmage between the East and West, which was great. So it was like, I mean, you get a lot of evaluation time. You actually get to see these dudes like, OK, this guy's a good, you know, what does he look like against other five star players and what have you? You see the dogs uh, in that week. Now you get one kind of practice uh on a tuesday <laughs> and then i think wednesday they, they started taking wednesdays off and then under armor's always been that way I, i've never had very much interest in covering under armor because it's always just kind of guys standing around you know and polynesian bowl is kind of sort of like that as well i mean it's great to get interviews it's but it's hawaii get, get some photos it's hawaii that's why Ryan <laughs> he loves hawaii and uh and five star jared you know he only five stars and so it's five star hotel for him five star rental car five star uh, views five, five star, star beaches views five-star experience for him and so it makes um, sense it's the perfect bowl for him to cover exactly exactly so we expect uh, big things from him um a deluge of information the, the the other thing is the polynesian bowl this year actually has some guys from usc playing in it you know um you know the the linemen are there uh, there's a few guys that um that are not in the other bowl games um you know with under armor i mean malachi nelson didn't play so yeah this this is going to be uh probably a bigger week for them 
Uh, we'll see. I, I don't know. We'll see what Roderick uh, actually does. I don't. I don't know how much he's going to participate. Um, you know, he's obviously already going to looking forward to track here pretty soon, uh, February. So he's going to take that official visit to USC this weekend. Uh, we've said from the jump that we felt like USC was the team to beat. I think Oregon's definitely made up a lot of ground with him, but I kind of mm-hmm. still feel like USC with this visit is a team to beat. So we'll see. We'll we'll see. I mean, he's not going to sign and commit probably until February. Um, but again, we'll 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 see how it goes. But um, that's one of the guys that USC has a has a very good shot at. Um, they've lost ground with Deuce Robinson. We talked about you know Georgia continuing to be impressive with their use of tight ends and baseball. And so you know, there's a lot of baseball stuff coming up for for Deuce Robinson here, and he's going to really try to make. I think an impression on the scouts over the next month. Can he get back on campus for USC? I, I feel like USC kind of needs it, you know, to, to get him. Everybody thinks right now he's going to Georgia. Um, and I, and I understand. And, and I think, you know, unbiased, like if, if you're getting away from USC circles and USC circles have not always had the best reads on some of these kids, I, I have to add um, it's Georgia. You know, that's, that's, that's really kind of the talk from people more around his camp and what have you. If you talk to, you know, USC commits and people around USC, it's like, oh, you know, we're still going to get deuced. They still feel good about it. But like I said, you know, they felt good about some other guys that have gone elsewhere too. So, you know, we'll see how that shakes out. But the the, the emphasis on, on baseball right now for him is kind of interesting. You know, he's taken some, um, some trips and, and doing some things, some workouts uh, with uh, like Dodger scouts and what have you. So, We'll see how that plays out for him. Nick Harbor, uh, he's got plenty of visits he can take. Um, we don't know for sure. He's told us, you know, back in, I don't know, was it October, November? I can't remember when Shotgun talked to him last, but said, you know, he's going to visit USC. Then there was like some other report that came out on another site and he didn't mention USC or something. And so everybody's like, oh, no, he's not going to USC. I've had people go back and forth with me about, you know, he's just saying that about USC. He doesn't really like USC. Um, I don't know. I, I know this. It's It's been if he ends up on campus at USC, it's been real sort of under the radar, like purposely not trying to put USC out there a whole lot. It's very Joe McKnight, to be honest with you. If, again, he takes that official visit to USC, if he doesn't, then it was all for naught. And he was like, OK, you know, he's going to go somewhere else. And you know, USC was on the peripheral the whole time. But um, I said it, you know, like I was like, if he shows up for Notre Dame, if he shows if he shows up on campus USC officially, then it's like it's it, it will raise my eyebrows. I mean, I'll be like, mm, okay, we see you, you know, you you definitely all the things that I've been hearing are starting to make sense. Uh, Walker Lions down to USC and I think Georgia, so that's another guy. I, again, with these guys, it's like they were on campus so long ago. You know, Nick Harbor was on campus in May last year. And Walker Lyons and Deuce Robinson haven't been on campus. Deuce, I'm trying to remember when Deuce was on campus left. Um, he he hasn't been on campus, I think, since the summer as well. And I know Yeah, he didn't make it out to a game or anything that we know of, and I don't believe he did. So basically what we're saying is USC needs to get Deuce Robinson back on campus if they want any shot of trying to reemerge as his leader and maybe sneak this one out from the national champions, uh, the Georgia Bulldogs. And with that, Gerard, I think we can kind of dive into our questions. Now, we did get a lot of questions, but I'm not going to go through all these questions because 
We would be here for at least another two hours if we did that. Now, if you would like to send us a question to possibly get it read on this podcast, you can email us at podcast.usfootball.com. Just make sure you put the composite, cilantro boys, two star, whatever you want to put, just that identifies either Hurricane or I, and it'll go into my inbox. You can also DM me questions. That happens quite frequently and probably more frequently than emails, but that is podcast at usfootball.com. Again, I've started this new policy where I don't do every question because it just takes nine hours to get through all these because Gerard will dive into every question, even if it's just two words, he's just going to dive right in. So I have to protect him from himself sometimes, but I just want to get through a couple of these uh, since we're back and I just wanted to do a couple. So Gerard, first one comes from Jose, Mexican bros. What are we hearing on Miller Moss? Dude's good enough to start somewhere else. I'm confused why he hasn't transferred yet. You think he'll be looking? He'll he'll be looking now that Malachi Nelson is coming in. Well, that's a question that you could actually probably answer too. Right. Um, I believe uh, Miller Moss is scheduled to graduate what this spring. Yes, I believe that is what is he's on track for. So I would expect him to get that degree, do spring practice. And then kind of make that decision. Malachi Nelson is coming off soul, shoulder surgery. So I wonder how far along he'll be for spring camp. I, I assume he would be sort of close up into the line of getting ready to compete in spring camp. But I think Miller Moss will get that degree, obviously, go through spring camp, and then we'll kind of see that decision moving forward. Yeah, we're going to see potentially a lot of Miller Moss because, you know, Caleb Williams has established himself. They don't need to put him out there a whole lot. Um, We do want to see the other quarterback whose name escapes me that they got. Jake Jensen. Jake Jensen from from, uh, up there in um, Northern California, Bay Area, Juco kid, who a lot of people up there thought was a dude. Like they were they were like, this guy's way underrated. USC's getting a guy at the last minute that could. you know, make a push at some other colleges. So we'll see how that goes. Uh, yeah. With Malachi Nelson, you would like to see him get those 15 practices. You really would. I think it would benefit him, but yeah, I'm a little skeptical now that uh, it's just non throwing shoulder, but still, mm-hmm. you know, with anything like any kind of surgery, spring ball, a lot of coaches are very conservative about that. So we'll see how that goes. If, um, you know, they put him out there, uh, for any like meaningful reps, you know, like I said, non-throwing, he's obviously not going to get hit in spring ball, but nevertheless, um, they may, they may decide to sideline him. So, I mean, it, it will be Miller Moss show. And you know what? I want to see what a pocket court, a, a traditional pro style pocket quarterback would do in Lincoln Riley's offense. Now, I mean, it's spring ball, so you're not going to really see how it looked, but because of some of the scholarship offers, that have been put out there and, you know, them uh, pursuing Dylan Riola the way they did and trying to make him the number one quarterback in the 2024 class that they were going after and basically told him he was the only guy they were going to recruit until he committed to Ohio State. Um, I definitely am interested to see, you know, what the offense would look like. We know what the offense looks like with a quarterback that can run the ball. and It's been very successful. So, you know, my opinion, you stick with that formula. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. But Lincoln Riley is is definitely, I mean, they recruited Devin Brown um, in that 2022 class. And I was kind of surprised at that. I was like, ah, you know what? You know, chances you're going to get Caleb Williams out of the recruiting portal. 
you're, you know, you've, you've got some guys like Malachi Nelson who are probably going to end up being committed that were committed to Oklahoma that are a little more athletic, not necessarily a running quarterback, but still, you know, a little more on that side than not. And, uh, you know, I think Dylan Riola is like one of the first guys that's really sort of pocket quarterback type of guy. Devin Brown uh, that way, that way as well. So yeah, Lincoln Riley, he's dabbled, you know, and it's, it's a, it's an interesting thing, bigger picture when you look at his career and, you know, all the talk of him potentially going to the NFL someday. You know, I don't think USC fans should be as naive. They shouldn't go full boomer sooner. You know, don't go full boomer sooner on us, Peristyle, and think that, you know, uh, Lincoln Riley is going to be at USC for 10 years because USC is so great and nobody ever leaves USC. And that's nonsense. You know, I mean, he's a young quarterback coach with uh, prolific offenses. Um, you know, if Cliff, Cliff Kingsbury can be <laughs> hired out of Texas Tech going seven and five by the, the Arizona Cardinals, you damn skippy that uh, if somebody came along and said, um, you know, we're going to give Lincoln Riley the keys. And that's, I think, going to be what would be the, the where it would become um, potential for Lincoln Riley to leave is is. If they say, you know, we're going to give you some GM powers like they did Pete Carroll, because you know Pete Carroll got approached, but he was looking for the right situation. And that right situation for most coaches, especially if you're a highly successful college coach, is you want to be able to have personnel power. You know, you want to be able to play that GM role. And that's what Urban Meyer got. That's what Pete Carroll got. Uh, that's what usually the big guys get out of those uh, those those franchises. And if they're not getting that, then they feel like, oh, you know what, man, I'm getting put in a situation. Obviously, with Cliff Kingsbury, he, he you know, beggars can't be choosers. He was getting fired from te uh, uh, Texas Tech, and he was going to be the OC for Clay Helton, who's now at Georgia Southern. So, you know, that job is like, hey, I'm jumping at it. You know, I'm going to be a head coach in the NFL. Like, hell yeah. And it was kind of with Lane Kiffin just was like, man, I'm a, hey, I got to try it. I'm going to take it right now. Um, but when you're a guy that's, you know, making the money that Lincoln Riley is and you have the power that Lincoln Riley is, you can be a lot more picky. And so I think, you know, that's that's what the NFL is going to have to do for Lincoln Riley. But don't be naive enough to think that it's not going to happen. It would never happen. And USC is so amazing. You know, that's that's Boomer Sooner stuff. You know, that's the I, I still again, I, I said it before. I, I don't really can't wrap my head around how Oklahoma fans were, were so jolted emotionally by Lincoln Riley leaving when, you know, the, the Cowboys were talking to him and there was smoke around, around, you know, him maybe going to the Cowboys and obviously with the Cowboys and Chris, you're a Cowboy fan. So you know, this better than anybody else. You're not going to get GM powers. You're not going to get a lot of decision-making powers with, uh, with Jerry Jones there, you know? So that's the situation. That's like a situation with Lane Kiffin going to the Raiders. You know, when you had Al Davis there, you, you're, you're going to be basically, uh, uh, a glorified offensive coordinator as a head coach there because the owners are going to run uh, that, that franchise. And I think Lincoln Riley looked at that situation and said, no, no, no I'm not going to, I'm not, I've got a, a, a good job here where I, I can, you know, um, you know, write uh, the, the program here and, and dictate things and, and have control over my own success a lot more. Uh, but then the LSU job came up and it, it, you know, it's like a lot of people had him gone leaving Oklahoma. So I, I just don't understand why Oklahoma fans were just so shocked and stunned and, and, and butthurt, you know, months and months later because he went to USC. And it was clear that he was looking around. And USC fans can't fall into that same 
na- naivete of like, oh, you know, just like nobody leaves USC. It's like, yeah, Pete Carroll left USC. Now, if 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 Lincoln Riley was to leave and go to Auburn or leave to go somewhere else, yeah, I, I could see where you know people would be a little more surprised and and, and maybe upset. Um, but you know, for the NFL, I mean, it's just, it's 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 potentially going to happen. I don't think it's going to happen in the near future. I think he's got to win a little bit at USC. But going back, and this is why you know, kind of go down this rabbit hole a little bit. His interest in you know coaching up some pocket pro style quarterbacks because it's still what you get a lot in the NFL. You know, you you've got some more athletic guys too, and and what have you. And there's been varying success there. You know, Patrick Mahomes is is semi-mobile, you know, he's, he's kind of scrambles a little bit, but, you know, he's a passer first. Uh, a lot of the quarterbacks still in the NFL are guys that, you know, you you have a pocket and you throw from that pocket. And so it interests me that he's interested in coaching up those guys and he seems to be interested in, you know, seeing what that looks like in his offense because he obviously knows Jalen Hurts looks like, he knows what Kyler Murray looks like, uh, Caleb Williams, um, all those guys are NFL guys, but you may not get one of those guys. You may have to go, and have a, a little bit more of a of a just a stagnant passing game with a pro style statue type quarterback, and so it's interesting that you know maybe he he wants to have one of those guys just to kind of see how he can build around that type of quarterback, other than um, you know the guys that are running around a little more. This is why questions take so long because it's a simple <laughs> question about Miller Moss and his potential to transfer. And then Gerard just went off and confirmed that Lincoln Riley's leaving for the NFL. Did you see how that went? Don't even say that. Don't even say that. You're going to get people with your little, I don't want to take the the board off the rails with this uh, post. And then takes the board off the rails with the post uh, about a team meeting. Um, Yeah. But it's all, it all circles into, you know, sort of NFL and pocket and pocket quarterbacks and pro style quarterbacks and, you know, what you're recruiting, what you're looking at and what fits your program, what fits your system. And, um, you know, Miller Moss is one of those guys. Miller, Miller Moss is a good quarterback and he's smart as hell. I mean, he's a really smart. He'll know the system better than anybody. He'll get the ball out of his hands quickly. He's just not mobile. He's just not going to get away from a bad play, a negative play. We talked about that with the running back position with Marshawn Lloyd and having a running back. And, and that's what Travis Dye kind of gave you. He could do a little bit of that where, you know, it's a, it's a bad play. It's just look at the, the gap that you're supposed to run to, bro. There's a guy in there. You got to go somewhere else and you got to make that play quickly. And you got to usually have good lateral feet and quickness to do that. And Marshall Lloyd brings that to the table better than, than Austin Jones. And so with the quarterback position, obviously we've seen, you know, going back to Sam Darnold and then USC deciding, Oh no, we're, we're good with just guys that can't run and get out of their own way. And they had JT Daniels and then they had Keaton Slovis. And that offense just looked putrid. It just was bad. It was awful. And so the uh, the, the running quarterback at the college level is, is, is a huge advantage for most teams. Um, but, you know, if, you know, Lincoln Riley is a really good quarterback coach and he's a really good offensive coordinator. Could be the guy that, you know, has a has, has you know, one of the Joe Burrows types guys. Right. Like Joe Burrow, not necessarily the, the most athletic quarterback in the world, but that LSU offense was elite. I mean, that was one of the best offenses that you could have. I mean, people are still trying to freaking hire Joe Brady in college just because of that one year that they they had that offense. And so, you know, Lincoln Riley is a guy that potentially has the ability to 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 make a pocket quarterback uh, that efficient and that good. You know, you're just like, hey, we don't need a guy that can run. We get, get the ball out of his hands quickly and you make the good reads right away. You know, you don't hold on to the ball. So um, it'll be interesting to see. You know, I think we're going – 
to get a lot of Miller Moss during spring ball. Whether he hangs around or not after that point, uh, I wouldn't necessarily bet on it. Um, I'll say that. He said that and more. So yeah. Our next question comes from Kyle. What freshman from last year will make the jump to getting playing to get playing time? Who are you looking forward to seeing? Madden, Tompkins, etc. And I just want to go on record that I literally own all the stock in Devin Tompkins. You cannot buy stock anywhere because <laughs> I own it all. I'm excited to see what Garrett Madison, Garrison Madden looks like. I still think he needs to put more, on more weight, but a lot of speed, quick twitch. I think he could be a, like a special teams guy next season. Not, there, not necessarily get playing time on defense, but I think special teams is where he can contribute. Obviously, Zion Branch is the big one, but that's sort of a... Uh, disclaimer one because he you know he would have been playing this past season if not for the knee injury in the summer so Zion Branch obviously at the top of that list but Devin Tompkins I am really excited for what he's going to look like next season he's a prime example of your your Bubba argument Gerard you know yeah. he, was a, he was a hooper out there in NorCal and you know he's put on a lot of weight he's six foot six he looks great and apparently he was a guy who was turning heads in the bowl practices uh, the month leading in the Cotton Bowl so we, we don't talk about him enough, and we're going to be talking about him a lot more as we move into spring and stuff, but he is a guy that can step up and be a contributor because he is a big body, just needs more weight. He could be easily 280, 290 with that 6'6 frame. Yeah, he'd be, I think initially right now, he's kind of like flip side of the rush end, so you know he'll be competing with Jack Sullivan um, and uh, you know uh, Solomon Tulalapupu. Um, you know, kind of the, the, the opposite, you know, end of, of Romello Height, Corey Foreman. Although Corey could could obviously play uh, that strong side too. I mean, he's 265 himself. Um, so, yeah, that that's where Devin Confidence is now. I mean, you're asking me to pick out of the seven guys that they signed. Like, it's this huge class. Um, it's it's interesting because, you know, defensive backs, we talked about this before. It's a, it's a young group. Like, it's surprisingly young when we're talking about the recruiting process and who they were going to get and do they need anybody in the portal? And you start looking at all the redshirt freshmen and freshmen that they have at quarterback and safety. It's like a long list of dudes. Um, you talked about Tompkins and I concur. I mean, we saw just a little bit of him. I think it was when we were at the camps and we saw yeah, one of the rising stars camps. Yeah. And he was like, he came up on a scooter and I was like, is that Devin Tompkins? He's like, 265 now like <laughs> he was like 225 230 or something coming to high school and um he's tall and he's just like a big he's just like a big guy he definitely stands out so yeah i i would concur with chris about that if i gotta go pick somebody else i mean I, relique brown i'm looking forward to seeing relique brown make the big step next year but mm-hmm. i guess the question is guys that didn't play um you know fabian ross has always looked good to me in in the little bit of db drills that we get to see in terms of like not being a fluid guy and not looking out of out of position he's a kind of a smaller safety that's super aggressive and super physical and so is a guy that we're talking about you know that nickel safety position that USC seems so obsessed about getting in the 2023 class I mean Fabian Ross he's he's one of those guys it's exactly like Zion Branch is the big you know almost like TJ McDonald type guy who's like you know a 6'3 um, he's another guy that like over the off season, when we saw him last February at the pylon camp, he was there, um, that was before uh, the injury and he was there with uh, his brother, you know, his brother was playing for one of the seven on seven teams from Vegas and 
we're like, holy crap, dude, Zion, you got, like, big, dude. You're, like, barrel-chested now. And we were thinking, linebacker, maybe? Like, <laughs> you know, there's a little bit of talk there. Well, like, you know, Fabian Ross is, like, the kind of on the opposite side of that. You know, he's a smaller, like, 5'10", 5'11 guy, um, but but very quick and, and, and very fluid and a guy that I think can play for USC, you know. And you've got Damani Jackson, who Chris is, you know, kind of stirring the pot a little bit with some – some war room stuff on that. I won't spread that in our free podcast, but uh, some interesting thing when, you know, we talk about the, the modern day pipeline and, and, you know, getting that earlier question about CJ Williams, whether it would uh, hurt USC at modern day. So we'll see what happens with Damani Jackson. Uh, but um, yeah, I mean, I guess like the, the only, there's not a lot of uh, options here to choose from. So I guess I'll go with Fabian Ross because you took Devin Tompkins. Uh, I mean, you could also jump on, Devin Tompkins. I mean, we saw him together. He came upon us together. So, you know, we, we kind of have that spirit bond with him. So I think I think you're you're allowed to take uh, is, Devin, is Tompkins. Devin Tompkins, our spirit animal or our spirit uh, uh, like our he should be. Well, you know, he was he was a three star. He wasn't a two star. Mm-hmm. I was going to say he, he might become like the the, 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 the face. The, yeah, the, the face of the, the podcast. podcast. Unfortunately, he was a three star, so he is yeah, got that extra star there. You know that that that, that three star that everybody gets. You know, <laughs> yeah, it's true. Not everyone can get the two star, so we're still looking for the true face of this podcast. Gerard, I did have a little bit of breaking. Twenty twenty four commit Aaron Butler has backed off his commitment to USC the four-star athlete, top 100 prospect out of Calabasas. He was technically the first ever recruit to commit to U- to USC when Lincoln Riley got on board. So he has backed off that commitment. USC's class, just two commits standing, uh, Joey Olsen, the tight end, and uh, Jason Robinson, the wide receiver out of Long Beach Poly. So a little bit smaller. That's the second decommitment in the class along with Dylan Williams. But just wanted to throw that out there. And I'm not shocked by the decommitment, by the way. Not shocked. He's taken some visits. I mean, I'm definitely more shocked by Dylan Williams decommitting. But, you know, it continues to raise some questions. Heard some things about Dante Williams looking around. And, you know, he was the lead recruiter for Dylan Williams. And he was lead recruiter for Aaron uh, Butler. And uh, we also had Aaron White, who decommitted um, and was one of those guys. Yes, Jet White. To, to USC. And from the 2025 class during the in, the interim head coach season that Dante had at USC. And so, you know, USC's, you know, oddly, like we always talk about, you know, Dante's going to have options here. You know, defensive back, they always sort of cultivate options with players. And yeah, I haven't really seen that so much at the end of the year. So, you know, looking at him or what have you, um, I think from your conversation with Lincoln Riley, the expectation that, you know, everybody would be retained unless you know, somebody got a coordinator job or somebody got um, a hit coaching job or what have you. So we'll have to see how that plays out, but that's a, that's an interesting one. Um, again, you know, not, not trying to uh, you know, create too much stir about Dante Williams. It's just kind of like looking at uh, some of the things going on there uh, with the, some of the defensive backs. So it's interesting to take note of. And our last question we're going to do for this podcast comes from Terrence house, the Bouse. Uh, can we get Gmart to give a brief evaluation of Gerard Martinez, a.k.a. Hurricane, at five technique when he played in high school? LOL, serious question. Any news on the 2024 QB situation? Smoke with Georgia and Dylan Rayola. I kind of want you to the end on question. your self-scout. 
<laughs> I'm glad he said serious question, right? Like, get to put that in there. Um, yeah, five technique. Did I play five technique? I did actually did play five technique. In, in, in our program, at least initially, uh, we it was like a it was a th- it was a three four, and we were playing what we we called them hammer was the strong side, razor was the weak side, hammer. and it was like a stud and anchor. I think were the were the inside linebackers. Um, so I was a hammer actually, uh, quite a bit. Is that going to be your new nickname for 2023 hammer hammer, the hurricane, the H's. Yeah. Hurricane hammer. There it is. Hurricane hammer. Uh, I had a, I had a, I had a sick uh, spin move though. You know, I had actually like a a good spin move. I, I, that's why they call it hurricane. The spin move came from the, the, the flag football days. Um, now was the hurricane days. It was, was actually from flag football, which I don't even know if we had techniques back then, but, um, yeah, it's all about the spin move, man. You gotta have a spin move and uh and uh and not have a spin move that spins you right out of the run game. That's the other thing. That's my advice to young uh edge rushers, man. Don't have like, great don't have great pass rush moves when it's a rundown. <laughs> <laughs> That's uh, something that USC could probably uh some of their guys would We've seen over the years it's that that's been like a, a perennial issue for USC where they've had guys on the edge that are like talented guys. Um, and we talked about this with Jamil Muhammad. This is why I like Jamil Muhammad over um uh oh, what was his Georgia name? State kid, yeah. No, no, the the guy Stewart from um Coastal Carolina, um uh Josiah. Josiah, yeah, yeah, Josiah Stewart, who you know, kind of bull rushed a bit and kind of could get lost in the sauce a little bit trying to take on the offensive tackle. And he took himself out of some some run fits. And I like J- Jamil Muhammad because he didn't seem as unaware. You know, he seemed like he, he could make moves and do things, but he never really took himself out of containing uh, the run game. And so that's just, like, really important. A lot of guys, and they're out there doing their spin moves and they're doing their – their ice pick moves and all this other stuff, and they just lose. They're on the football field. It's like, brother, you got edge. You you got edge containment, man. If it's a run, you got to make sure that you 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 stop that running back from just running around you or running. You know, you you opened up that gap so far from the defensive tackle that there's this huge run lane. And uh, yeah, we've seen that with Clancy Pendergast. We've seen that a lot um, for USC, unfortunately. So they uh, obviously got to improve there. So, anyways. That's uh that's my uh, my spiel on five technique, um out of uh, flag football. A uh, serious question was uh, what was it about Dylan Rola and and, and what, Georgia? Georgia and Georgia? There has I've seen some smoke for Dylan Rola and Georgia, which makes sense. You know, they're... sounds good to me, man. I don't know. I don't cover Georgia football. <laughs> uh, congratulations for them for for absolutely rinsing uh, TCU. Um, but uh, yeah, like um, I've always said, I. A little bit, I don't know how Riola fits in with what USC does well offensively. You know what I mean? Like, I, again, and that's the same thing you could say about Miller Moss. It's the pocket quarterbacks. It's like, do you go to a pocket quarterback? Why? It's more why. It's why do you go to a pocket quarterback when you've had, you know, Baker Mayfield? Okay, I understand. Baker Mayfield isn't, you know, Caleb Williams, but Baker Mayfield could still run and move. Like, he, he was a guy that could scramble. And then you take it up a notch with Kyler. Murray, and then you take a, another notch with Jalen Hurts, who was really not known as being a very good passer coming out of high school. He was really an athlete that a lot of people thought might end up playing another position altogether. So he transfers to Oklahoma, 
and you know, it's playing in the NFL right now as a as a quarterback and, and, and being pretty good. All those guys have been uh, productive in the NFL. So they're not just like good college quarterbacks, but they're guys that have actually done some things in the NFL. And um, now you got Caleb Williams. And so I, you know, it, again, if it broke, don't fix it. The formula is there. And I think in college, just in general, it, it tends to be uh, the, the more prolific offenses outside of a few exceptions, usually have a quarterback that can run. Um, I think Joe Burrows with that LSU team. And, and it wasn't, and again, Joe Burrows isn't like, you know, completely immobile. But he is definitely more of a pocket-style quarterback, if you were to say, you know, dual threat or pocket quarterback. He's a little more of a pocket quarterback. That's the last team I just remember having that type of quarterback that's, you know, the, the offense kind of um, – they kind of led the way for a national championship program. So at LSU, again, Ed Erdron, uh, you had Dave Aranda there. It wasn't like they didn't have defense. That – if anything, you know, that's – that's USC would have to figure out how to kind of be that team where you can have that prolific offense. The problem is in LSU, you're, you're recruiting the deep South. You know, you've got these six, four, six, five, you know, 300 pound defensive tackles that are just growing on trees down there. You don't have that out West. You've got a lot of guys that are six, four, um, you know, 250, 260 pounds that you're trying to build into that. You know, Anthony Lucas, 270, 275 pounds, get that dude to 290. And now we're talking. So, they got to figure that out. They got to um, they got to get those guys. They got to develop that type of talent on the defensive line, and uh, they got to have a defense that um, that can stop some people. It's not just about hey, you know, we'll give up um, you know thirty points, but our, our offense is going to score score fifty five every game. They're not going to score fifty five every game. There's going to be games like Oregon State uh, that you just you you need your defense to step up. They did against Oregon State, uh, but they weren't able to do that against the you know the better teams like Utah. And if they would have gotten the college football playoff, like I like I said, what, what happened to TCU, you don't want that kind of embarrassment hung on you. You know, USC is still feeling that drubbing they took from Alabama um, in in Texas. By the way, in that same stadium, that they need to get USC just needs to do everything. They need to lose games so they don't play in that stadium again. <laughs> they need to do everything to just avoid playing in the Jerry Bowl, right? The Jerry Dome, the Jerry World, whatever they call it these days. Jerry World. Jerry World. I also found uh, find it funny that we both played five technique. Or, I mean, you did play five technique at some point, but I also was mainly a five technique when I played football. So I find it funny that we're both uh, former five techs. Contained guys. You know, Contain it was all guys. about containment. That, that was like first and foremost. Even going back to like flag football playing on the outside is like contained. Do not let guys just run around the edge of you. and. But the thing is, it's like you can do that and then you can leave this big gap between you gotta have gap integrity. That's what they that's what they call it. It's a very simple um kind of football one-on-one thing. But sometimes you get athletes on the edge and these dudes are like, I'm gonna be like Lawrence Taylor. You know, maybe that's going back too far for some of these dudes now, but it's all about uh, you know, r- rushing the passer. And it's like, dude, you got passers that are agile, that can they can they can make you look bad. You got to play with some type of like integrity and awareness, like get your eyes up. So that was what I liked about uh, Jamil Muhammad. Um, you know, Jack Sullivan is is not quite as like a, a pass rush. You don't have to worry about that with Jack Sullivan as much. Um, with with Anthony Lucas, again, bigger guy, probably not as much. But yeah, I think um, got to like the 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 real recruitment, the real sales job for USC and Sean Nua 
it, it starts, you know, with the uh, spring ball. I don't know. I, actually, we have to figure this out if, if uh, Anthony Lucas is going to be on campus for spring ball because we don't know. Like this, la- this last wave of guys are not 100% sure. I think Jack Sullivan probably for sure because he's a grad transfer. Um, but I'm not 100% sure with, with Lucas. I would figure he would be ready to go on campus and, and he'll be enrolling here in the next week or so. Um, but, uh, yeah, the, the, the job of, uh, of Sean Nua is to just show him, you know, dude, inside is the way, like, that's where you're going to make the greatest impact. You know, we could do some things and we'd like to move our guys around, but we need some dudes inside that are, that are ballers, that are dogs. Dogs some Bubba's Eat those Bubba's as what we started this podcast with. And that is going to be our final question for this episode of Composite Two Star Recruits, the return of Composite Two Star Recruits, the first of 2023, after a long layoff for the holidays and traveling and all that kind of stuff. Gerard, can we go ahead and commit to doing another live one for February? For uh, February signing day, um, we'll we'll we'll, uh, we'll let's make some in. money. We'll pencil it in. Well, pencil it in. You hear it here first. Who makes the money? Dude, <laughs> come on. Please, listen. It, it, anybody that wants to just watch, you know, it's it, the support is certainly first and foremost. Absolutely. Uh, the most important thing for us. And we're really blessed and happy that uh, people are interested in the podcast at all. This is different. This is not what other people do. They do not sit here for two hours, two and a half hours, and get in the weeds about things like. God, I don't know what we talked about. I don't even, I've even forgot about what we talked about this podcast, but stuff that is so, <laughs> you know, uh, it, it's, it's nuanced, you know, we're talking about USC and, and the program that they're trying to build and trying to get better and talking about, you know, Alex Grinch and what the defense defense didn't do and sort of the thinking behind bringing him in and everything, um, you know, keeping him around certainly for another year and uh, showing that loyalty and, and, I think, you know, stability also goes a long ways. There's, there's, it's hard. It's hard at a program like USC to have that, but you see that with some other programs. I mean, look at Utah. I mean, Utah's had that coaching staff there for, what is it, 40 years now? <laughs> yeah. They always talk about it. You know, they talk about like, you know, those like Virginia Tech with, with Beamer. You know, there's certain programs you can get away with that. You know, it's, it's tougher at the, the really big blue blood schools because people have expectations and, you know, it, Utah, it's like, yeah, they have expectations. They have more expectations now than they've had, you know, probably the past 20 years. But there's a lot of time there where it's like, hey, you know what? We want to be competitive. USC doesn't want to be competitive. They want to win national championships, right? So, yeah, it's it's harder to have that patience with coaching staff. Although USC sure as hell showed it with Clay Helton. I mean, that that was something that – I think that's something that you could argue helped with getting Lincoln Riley. Because a lot of other schools, Clay Helton would have been fired, you know, probably third year. They probably would have got would have got rid of him. Um, but uh, at USC, they they waited and waited. They waited too long. I think we can all agree on that. But nevertheless, it showed that they were patient and they weren't going to be, um, you know, just one of those programs that just goes through head coaches and goes through head coaches. And with that, I think it's a good place to end. And I look forward to our second live show out there in february gerard we should go for five hours we should best the four hour mark but we could talk about that as we get closer to that date but thank you so much to all the listeners in the return i know a lot of people were hitting us up like when is the next two star when is the next two star when are you back when are you back when are you back so i hope this satisfied their two star cravings as two star listeners 
We really appreciate your continued support of this podcast and your listenership. That's probably not a word, but I am Chris. That is Gerard, and we will catch you on the next Composite Two Star Recruits. Get leopard sucks!